0: This week Douglas Gale is back to talk about Babylon 5. Plus I'll tell you a little bit about my trip to Tahoe last week and give you an update on my ongoing Lyme disease saga. I'll coming up right now. To Sci-Fi I'm your host Jesse Mercury. Thank you for joining us. Got a huge episode for you this week. Lots of fun chat about Babylon 5. Uh, so I just started watching this show for the first time recently, never seen it before, knew pretty much nothing about it, and I watched through season one, posted on Facebook looking for someone to chat with me about it on the podcast, and Doug responded, and you know Doug, he's been on the show a bunch of times, so that was a thrill for me, and of all the times Doug's been on the show, this was actually the most fun I've ever had talking to Doug. Actually, I think as human beings, this was the most fun I've ever had talking to Doug. Like, the Star Wars Holiday Special was awesome, and, and that was super fun time. But uh, I just really enjoyed this conversation with Doug about Babylon 5. And that's awesome because we're going to keep doing it. As I watch the show, we're going to do seasons 2 through 5 as well. So this discussion this week is, uh, you know, there's definitely some spoilers for season 1, but... I am unspoiled for seasons two through five, so I know pretty much nothing about it. We give a couple of very light casting change spoilers for the rest of the show, but if you've never seen Babylon 5 before and you don't know shit about it and you want to listen to this, go ahead. This might, you know, help you decide if it's a show that you're interested in or not. I don't think the spoilers in season one are really that critical to the story. From my understanding, the show really picks up starting in season two, uh, so season one is just setting up a lot of things and helping the Show kind of find its footing, uh, so yeah, I'm thrilled to go forward and watch the rest of it. And if you've never seen it, check this episode out, and maybe you'll be interested. Babylon Five was actually in the news quite a bit after we recorded this podcast. Unfortunately, for for a very sad reason, it's because the actor Stephen First, who played Veer, passed away. So that's such a bummer. Bummer news. I was very sad to hear that, especially because I'm just now starting to get into the show. And Veer didn't have that much to do in season one. Uh, From what I understand, he becomes much more of a central character moving forward in the show. So in season one, my impression of the character was that he's just kind of the the comic relief and the sort of bumbling fool character. And he, you know, he wasn't my favorite in season one. Uh, So when Doug and I discussed Veer in this episode, we did not know, I mean, he had not passed away yet, so that definitely would have colored our discussion a little bit differently, but I i left it intact uh when we discussed how the character wasn't our favorite, and I feel a little bad doing that right after the actor passed away, but I'll just say up front, you know, I just want you to have my honest reactions to things, and... This felt like something that I didn't want to filter my reaction to. uh, But I will just say out of respect to the actor in the beginning that I'm very sad that he's passed away. And I understand that uh, what was done with the character in season one is not the actor's fault. You know, he was definitely underused and was not really well developed as a character in season one. And that is not on the actor. So anything we said about the character, uh, please, please know that we still respect and are saddened by his passing. It's not like we said anything that bad, but as soon as he passed away, my Jewish guilt kicked in, and I I felt the need to say something up front. So last week, I went to Tahoe with Andy, uh, my girlfriend, the lovely Andy, who you've heard on this show. So she was actually out of town for three weeks before we went to Tahoe. She was in New York doing a workshop for a new play uh, called, I believe, Three Andy Warhols, where she was one of the Andy Warhols. <laughs> Uh, and then she actually just left again to go back to New York because she's doing another workshop for a new musical called intermission. But we had this glorious week and a half in between these two long trips where we got to hang out a little bit in Seattle and then go to Tahoe with her family. Uh, so it was amazing to spend every day together after missing her so much for three weeks, but now she's gone again and I'm very sad. So her family actually goes to Tahoe every year. They've been doing this for a really long time. Uh, they invite friends along. They have a timeshare. And it's this amazing gathering that happens once a year. And I was very lucky and honored to be a part of that and to be invited. I was actually really nervous to go. And I made the decision the last day that I was actually going. Because <laughs> when you have Lyme disease, when you have chronic illness, uh, something that flares up and, and the flares down, that's not... thing, something that goes up and down as dramatically as Lyme disease on a day-to-day basis, it's very hard to plan for anything at all. So, making the decision to go out of town was actually kind (laughs) of terrifying to me because, I mean, what can very easily happen is that the day that we are scheduled to fly out, let's say I have a big flare-up and my legs stop working and I'm twitching and uh, sometimes it's like my strength just turns on and off like a switch and sometimes even my ability to to control my arms and legs. So if I have a really bad day, you're not getting me on a plane. You know, it's just not going to happen. Even if you put me in a wheelchair and and get me most of the way there. I mean, if I'm having a really nasty spasm fit, I'm not even going to be able to get out of the apartment. So so I, I was nervous about that. And I, you know, we had a ticket for me and it was kind of a a no pressure situation where at the last minute I could decide that I couldn't make it. And no one would be upset with me, (laughs) basically. So the day to fly out comes around, and I actually felt pretty decent, which was really exciting. So you know, I'm like, let's do it, let's go for it, because the way I figure it is, if I'm home sitting on the couch most of the time recovering, I might as well sit on the couch in Tahoe and recover and be able to be with Andy when we haven't been able to spend that much time together uh, last month and then this this upcoming month. So I was really, really, really determined to go afraid that I wouldn't make it. And then I made it, which was great. Um, the, the, the plane ride was a little rough. I, I won't lie. I've discovered that I now have motion sickness. Uh, I never really had motion sickness in the past. I mean, I felt it before one time on a really long kayaking trip and then maybe once or twice in the car ever in my whole life. But the whole trip, I actually had some really nasty motion sickness issues. I have no idea why that is now sprung up, but that's a new thing for me. Uh, the plane ride in is on a really small plane, and it's very turbulent landing in the, the Reno Airport where we landed and then drove into Tahoe. Apparently, it's really, you know, a weird landing that is always kind of turbulent for some reason or another, like the shape of the mountains or the whatever's happening with the wind. Uh, so I got really nauseous really quickly. Um, I mean, it didn't throw up or anything, but I was not feeling great when we first landed and then it's much higher altitude that I'm used to. So it actually took me about three days to kind of get on my feet. Once we got to Tahoe, the first day I felt decent, but kind of nauseous. And we went out and had this amazing dinner at this cool place called chopsticks that was right across the street from the Hyatt where we were staying, uh, in the timeshares at the Hyatt. And, chopsticks was awesome. If you're in Tahoe, go check it out. The, it was like a family owned restaurant. We ordered a ton of food. The, the chef came out at the end with his baby and, uh, you know, his, I think his son or his brother was the person who had seated us. And they were all just really proud of their own restaurant. And the food was awesome. It was a really cool dining experience that I really enjoyed. But the second and third days, I actually couldn't really leave the, the, the room at all. I was just, you know, Not feeling up to doing anything, so I just sat and watched TV, which was okay. You know, I expected that; I was prepared for that. Uh, It's hard to not be disappointed when the people you're traveling with are doing fun things. I did. I missed the trick. I missed the trip to Truckee where they went to the um, the. I think there's like an art. Fair street fair or something in Truckee that they went to that I wasn't able to join them on. And uh, I missed a lot of pool time and all that sort of fun stuff. But what I did do is I, you know, I made myself comfortable in the apartment and I watched a lot of TV and I started a new show because I wanted to, you know, entertain myself in a new and exciting way. So I started watching Better Call Saul which I fucking loved, Uh, holy shit, I'm almost done with season one at this point, but I was a big Breaking Bad fan, and two of my favorite characters from Breaking Bad were Mike and Saul, so (laughs) having a whole show about them is fantastic, and then Michael McKeon's character, uh, Saul, aka Jimmy's brother, and his character is suffering from electromagnetic radiation sickness, EMF sickness, and it seems like maybe maybe it's in his head and maybe it's not. So I'm very interested in the, in the storyline because it, you know, reflects a little bit of what I've gone through, except uh, kind of, <laughs> I don't know, even I'm questioning whether or not this guy has this sickness on the show. So I'm excited to see where it goes and see how they develop that story because there's this subplot that maybe the sort of uh, nefarious activities of his brother is causing him to be stressed cuz his brother is uh Saul Goodman aka Jimmy McGill before he changed his name to Saul Goodman uh and you know he's <laughs> he's a crooked lawyer sort of so i don't know it's a really good show it's really complicated it's really well written it's beautifully shot i mean the cinematography is stunning uh the the storytelling style they un unroll the story in a really interesting way. I mean, they introduce things to you and then sort of unwrap them by going backwards and forwards in time, which is cool because this show, from what I understand, uh, starts before Breaking Bad and then runs concurrently with that story and then goes past that story. So that's something I'm really looking forward to. If you like Breaking Bad, watch Better Call Saul. It does stand on its own. So if you've never seen Breaking Bad, I think you can watch it uh, without having seen Breaking Bad. But but oh my god, watch Breaking Bad. It's amazing. Watch it. Andy and I also watched through Season 34 of Survivor Game Changers. I love Survivor. I'm sure I've mentioned this before, but I'm a I'm a longtime Survivor fan. It's a brilliant show. If you don't like it, just watch through Season 34. Watch through the Game Changers season. Actually, Season 33 was awesome also, so maybe watch that one, because it was all new players. And then Season 34 was all returning players. Uh, I... <laughs> I actually went to a survivor audition once and the line was so long that I didn't even get in to be seen. But, but there you have it. I did try to audition for survivor. And if I ever get to a healthy enough place uh, after all this Lyme disease stuff, you, I may audition again. Who knows? We'll see. So the fourth day of our trip, I really perked up. It was like, magic is i just felt so good all of a sudden i don't know if it was acclimatizing to the to the the elevation or just needing a couple days of downtime but on the 4th day I felt great. We went to the pool, we went swimming, we got some food and uh, I had just a really great day at the resort. In the evening, we walked down to the lake itself and I got to see Lake Tahoe, which is so gorgeous. It's so beautiful. It's really stunningly wonderful. And then we had this amazing dinner right on the water and it was magical and awesome, and then the, I think that was the second to last eating, and on the very last day, I felt pretty good, you know, I got to swimming again and have a nice lunch before we went off. I had to take it a little easy, but overall, not a bad day. I did have nasty motion sickness driving back to the airport, because our, our Uber driver was a madman, but besides that, things worked out pretty well, got home okay, and, and yeah, I made it, man. it. Overall, I had a wonderful time. I really enjoyed myself. Uh, It is definitely emotionally challenging to vacation and not be able to leave the room for help. But what I tried to do is look at it as if uh, the whole thing were kind of a bonus uh, for me. you know? Because if I'm sitting at home, getting better, I might as well sit there and get better. It was kind of my mantra to myself. And I kept telling myself that over and over. It really worked. It really was able to relax, enjoy the fact that I was there no matter what I was doing. Uh, Wendy's family and and their friends that came are all wonderful people. I got to spend a lot of time with her two blings and their husbands, and one of her sisters has uh, three kids, and they were super fun to hang out with. I didn't really spent any time with them before. I'd met them once, but uh, yeah, I mean it was just a it was a magical uh, week spent in Tahoe. So I learned that. It's worth the risk is if you're afraid of traveling for your health, uh, but you feel like you might be able to do it. I say do it. I mean, the worst that can happen is that you get sick, but you're used to that, right? I mean, I'm used to being sick. I've spent a lot of time sick, so I'm used to it. I know how to handle it. It's scary to have to handle it in a different environment, but it worked out fine. And, you know, I had very supportive people with me. Andy, of course, and then her family are very supportive as well. So I felt very comfortable being able to, you know, have spasms muscle spasms in front of people and not be looked at funny and they actually filled in all their all their friends also before i got there which really made me feel better because it's a little awkward to have to walk into a room and say by the way i have lyme disease and if i start spasming in a strange way it is normal i mean that's awkward so uh i actually got into a couple cool conversations with several people about lyme disease uh clayton who is andy's sister's husband. Uh, told me that he and Margo, Andy's sister, had uh, spent hours the night before researching Lyme disease because they were curious and they had some questions. And, and that was kind of cool to uh, to be part of informing someone about something because the, the, the research on Lyme disease is so complicated and conflicted and, and kind of a lot of bullshit is floating around out there about what is good and not good for you with Lyme disease. There was some report that came out recently about how dangerous it is to be on long-term antibiotics and how the, the science of that is not proven, which is the course of treatment that I am currently doing. Uh, for, for Lyme disease. And my doctor, I saw my doctor when I got home, and she actually mentioned that as well. She's like, You might have seen this. Please ignore it. <laughs> uh, and you know what? I've seen stuff like that before. I, I am aware of the risks involved in being on long term antibiotics. But the thing that you got to remember is that Lyme disease is worse. You know, having Lyme disease is worse. And I've had it for most of my life, and I need to get rid of it. So I have no other option. There's no other way to do it. If you do short term antibiotics, the disease comes back. That's what they always ignore. When when they tell you about the dangers of long-term antibiotics is uh, the short term just doesn't work. Uh, It may be the safer recommendation. And that's why all these government agencies try to push that on you, but it doesn't work. So who cares? I mean, who cares if it's safer for me at this point, uh, getting better is the only thing that matters and the antibiotics, the side effects involved in that uh, even long-term are worth the risk for getting rid of the Lyme disease. So so I feel like we've transitioned. Let's talk about Lyme disease a little bit. So I had several doctor's visits recently. Uh, A bunch of new stuff has happened, some new updates to the story. So before I left, I had this weird lump on the back of my head. It felt like a cyst, but kind of mushy. So I went in to see the doctor and uh, my functional medicine doctor, who at this point is really the only one that I am uh, seeing My primary physician that I've been seeing for years, I kind of parted ways with. Um, She actually refused to fill out some of my insurance paperwork, and it really upset me. She basically said that she's not convinced that I have Lyme disease and even though she respects my functional medicine doctor and respects that diagnosis, she doesn't understand enough about Lyme disease to be convinced and because of that, if she were to fill out my insurance paperwork, it would reflect that and I probably wouldn't get insurance. It's kind of a moot point because I didn't get the insurance. Anyway, uh, this is the, I'm talking about the the disability payments that were canceled once I was diagnosed because those people are fuckers. So... I was frustrated by that, and every time, like, the last two or three times I've gone to see her, my old primary doctor, um, she was just full of I don't knows and and I can't help yous, so I just decided it was maybe time to stop seeing her, because every time I go to see my functional medicine doctor, she's just like, here's this new thing we can try, here's this new thing we can try, she's just, like, pounding the pavement looking for answers for me, and it's amazing, it's really exciting. Um... I got off topic here. So let's see. I found this lump on the back of my head. I went to my functional medicine doctor to ask her about it. She felt it and said that it felt like it might be a cyst, but it was too mushy. So she wanted me to go see a dermatologist. That happened two days ago. And the dermatologist said it's actually a swollen lymph node. So uh, a massively swollen lymph node. So I have this thing on the back of my head that's like mushy and weird and kind of uh, it doesn't really hurt unless I touch it. So if I'm lying on my head, it kind of feels like pushing on a bruise a little bit. So that's fun and uncomfortable, but a sign basically that my body is kicked into overdrive doing whatever it's doing. So my dermatologist, her theory was that this is a side effect of the treatment for Lyme disease. And as I'm on antibiotics longer, it should just kind of go away. So that's that. That's nice to know something to not worry about too much. As soon as I got back from Tahoe, I started a second antibiotic. So I've been on biaxin for about three months, and I just started doxycycline. I'm taking them both together. And the reason for that is something I didn't even start to go into on the the Maybe He's Born With It, Maybe It's Lyme Disease podcasts, because there was already so much to talk about. But there's actually a bunch of co-infections that are common with Lyme disease. And the more cutting-edge Lyme disease treatments take those into account. Basically, the co-infections just make all your symptoms worse. Uh, there's things that your body just has a hard time fighting off when it has Lyme disease. Things that would be no issue for a normal immune system. But if you have Lyme disease, they can just make all your symptoms worse and then actually make you think you still have Lyme disease once you've treated it. If you <laughs> if you still have these co-infections, you can still be symptomatic for something related to Lyme disease, but not actually caused by the Lyme disease bacterium itself so I was tested for those Uh, one of them I tested positive for and the other one uh, there's actually two others that I have symptoms that could lead towards those or point towards those but I tested negative but the tests are only like 60% accurate um, but it doesn't really matter because I tested positive for one and the, the treatment for all of them is the same. It's a second antibiotic. The other reason to take a second antibiotic is that there's actually three forms of Lyme disease once it starts you know, doing its thing in your body. There's like the, the, I forget this, there's like the spirochetes and the some other form, L form, M form, I don't remember what they're called, but there's there's three different forms and it actually takes two different types of antibiotics to kill them. So at this point, I now have everything in my body that I need to kill Lyme disease and the co-infections, which is very exciting. The downside to this is that similar to starting antibiotics in the first place, starting a second antibiotic causes a flare-up reaction. So I have felt like absolute garbage for the last couple of days. days. Uh, it's interesting, though. I feel like garbage in a sort of different way than I have before, which I take as a positive sign where my flare ups are very intense, but they're shorter. And then my post flare up time, I bounce back to a functional level way faster. So it used to be if I flared up, it would last for days. And then I'd have days of recovery after that. And now I might have a flare up that lasts for a couple of hours. And then an hour or two later, I'm back on my feet and can like go to dinner or play some Mario or record a podcast or something like that. So that's really exciting. That's a good positive change. Um, but yeah, when I started this new antibiotic, man, it was nasty. I felt really gross. <laughs> I'm still, I'm still in the middle of that. I mean, I woke up at like nine o'clock today, and it's now about eleven, and I just got out of bed because it took me a couple hours to get up and running. But now that I'm up, I feel, I feel okay. You know, I'm, I sound energetic. I think because I'm a, I'm a big ball of energy anyway. So, yeah. So I, overall, I'm just excited that I am now at that step of the process where I can. You know, I have all of the antibiotics going at once, and hopefully this is the last time that I have to take a massive dip back down. I can just start climbing out of the hole at this point, and it's, uh, you know, full speed ahead towards being healthy, so that's exciting. Something else that I I believe I mentioned on the other podcast was that I've been having weird ear problems, like uh, hearing issues in the right side and, uh, like, sort of discomfort in my ears. They get really itchy and painful. And sometimes I have like goo or uh, flaky shit come out of there. I know that sounds gross. I apologize. But I've been having those issues for for about nine years. Uh, Yeah, I've been having these ear issues the entire time. And I've seen at least five ENTs, the ear, ear, nose and throat doctors, not ear, note and throes. Uh, I don't even know what that would be. So uh, I've seen several ENTs and they've all said similar things, which is, you know, either, oh, you have a mild ear infection or, oh, you have a mild inflammation in your ears and just take these drops and it'll go away. And I take the drops, it goes away and then it comes back and it's a big pain in the ass. And uh, I I do have like some hearing loss on the right side. So what actually kind of comes and goes is my ear seems to like open and close (laughs) a little bit. So it's just been very frustrating, and I haven't been able to get any answers. The, the closest we've gotten so far is when I went to do a hearing test recently, and they discovered that I have uh, mismatched pressure in my ears. The right side has like negative pressure. So they actually poked a hole in my ear to try to relieve that pressure, and for one second, my hearing went back to normal. It was like uh, the second they pulled that needle out of my eardrum, uh, my hearing felt like it was back to normal, and then it felt like it closed up immediately. So because of that, they, my ENT said that he thought there was some sort of gas in my ear canal that was like pushing on the eardrum. I have no idea what that means or what that is, but I don't know. He basically said, there's nothing I can do for you, so move along home. Uh, <laughs> hey, that's a DB Space Nine reference. So I got really frustrated with that, and I finally brought it to my functional medicine doctor, who has become my... Uh, my greatest ally going through all of this, and she had immediately said, oh, I think I know what that might be. I'm going to test you for something called Marcons. It's a staph infection that gets stuck in your mucous membrane, uh, and it can be there for years and is very common with Lyme disease. So I'm like, holy shit, let's test for that. So she tested me, and the test came back positive. So I have a staph infection in my face. That's exciting. Uh, and there's a nasal spray to treat that. So, because I had that, she did another test for uh, a hormone, and I have some notes here. Uh, It's called uh, MSH, melanocyte-stimulating hormone. Apparently, people who have Lyme disease and who have Marcon's very likely have low MSH, uh, which is this hormone. And let me read to you. Alpha-melanocyte stimulating hormone is a critically important regulatory neuropeptide. It is produced in the hypothalamus, an area of the brain important for hormonal control of the body and where the nervous system meets the endocrine system. Small amounts are probably also produced elsewhere in the brain's stem. So what does it do? It helps regulate other hormones, stimulates releases, stimulates release of endorphins, regulates inflammation pathways and is part of innate immune system, regulates basic defensive against invading microbes. Regulates nerve functioning pathways, regulates weight via reducing food intake, stimulates melanocytes to cause tanning of skin, is strongly antimicrobial, and is strongly anti-inflammatory, and helps uh, regulate inflammatory responses in the body. So if you don't have it, uh, the issues that you may come across are fatigue, pain, chronic sleep disorders, appetite swings, night sweats, and holy shit, have I been having night sweats. Loss of control of regulation of body temperature. That's a huge issue for me. dysregulated inflammation compounds called cytokines. I talked a lot about cytokines in the Lyme disease episode. Uh, cytokine flare-ups are the reason why my symptoms are so intense. Increased intestinal permeability, aka leaky gut, uh, which can lead to the development of antibodies to gluten slash gluten intolerance, which I have. Uh, Microbes can overgrow. Marcon's multiple antibiotic-resistant coagulase negative staphylococci (laughs) in the deep nose is found in 80% of those with low MSH and less than 2% of those with normal MSH. So 80% of people with low MSH have this Marcon's thing that I just tested positive for. Uh, low MSH is likely to be a final common pathway in cases of chronic fatigue syndrome, and then there's a whole bunch of more information here. But one of the last thing it says is that low MSH, uh, let's see, uh, increased susceptibility to biotoxin-related illnesses, illnesses, illness slash CIRS. CIRS stands for chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So, that increased susceptibility to biotoxin-related illness, uh, basically what that means is that if you have low MSH, which is a genetic issue, then you have increased susceptibility to things like Lyme disease. You also have increased susceptibility to uh, mold sensitivity and increased susceptibility to Marcon's. So, those three things combined are often thought to be part of this CIRS, uh, Sears Diagnosis, Chronic Inflammatory Response Syndrome. So, We're now discussing the possibility that I have that as well as Lyme disease or maybe I had that my whole life. It's a sort of genetic thing and that that is why Lyme disease has been such a problem for me because what I didn't even realize is that a lot of people get Lyme disease and their body just fights it off naturally, which is... Cool. I mean, <laughs> good for them. Didn't happen for me, and maybe this chronic inflammatory response syndrome is part of the reason why. I'm not really sure how I feel about that. I just found out about this two days ago. Uh, you know, the idea that there's that I'm genetically susceptible to all of this stuff kind of makes a lot of sense. Um, answers some more questions, but this is also you know very new area of research, and they're uh, it, this is just another one of those things where if I tell people I have, I have Sears, they're like, what the, the department store? I'm like, no, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. And like, oh, what's that? I'm like, well, it's this thing that is shitty and like, okay, I've never heard of that. You're probably making it up. So, uh, so it's another one of those things that I have to just kind of take into myself and deal with it in a way that works for me and, uh, share it with you guys. Cause why not? And then I don't know. I mean, it's not like, I, I don't think of myself as a person with, chronic inflammatory response syndrome, although I, maybe I will in the future. I don't know. I think of myself as someone with, with Lyme disease and with, uh, you know, some complications from that. But maybe that will change. This is all new. This is all strange and I'm I'm dealing with it. And there, it's, it's also exciting to, you know, be able to piece the dots together and be able to sort of predict uh, issues, I guess. I mean, my doctor predicted that I'd have a low MSH because of uh, the Marcon's. Uh, You know, she's been studying Sears recently and uh, she thought that maybe there'd be a connection with the MSH, and she was right. So, uh, the best thing for me is just to know that I'm in good hands. I'm, you know, working with a doctor who's on the cutting edge of Lyme disease research and is able to find all these things that are helpful. So, I'm doing this nasal spray for 30 days, which I'm starting today, that is going to treat the Marcon's infection. And then after that, I'm going to do another nasal spray for 30 days, which is supposed to help my brain start to create MSH, so sort of like shock the brain, kickstart it into gear, into actually creating this hormone. So that might really improve my sleep, my night sweats, my energy level, uh, some of the you know peripheral neuropathy stuff, the tingling, the numbness, uh, which is really exciting. And I look forward to that. And I'll, I'll keep you updated as that goes along. Apparently, the Marcon's nasal spray is very painful and you have to do it three times a day. Uh, for 30 days so that'll be fun that's exciting and the test for Marcons was very painful you stick this uh swab like way up your nose into the deep nose as they call it a uh, journey into the deep nose and that's a good podcast title too bad this one's gonna be babylon 5 something or other i haven't figured it out yet so yeah that's what's happening with my health uh am i forgetting anything about that i don't think so Oh, uh, my functional medicine doctor actually listened to episodes 73 and 74, the the initial two Lyme disease podcasts I did, and I have her seal of approval that they were very accurate. She said that I had a surprising grasp of the science behind everything. So fuck yeah, that shit is stamped by a doctor. But yeah, I've had nothing but positive responses so far to people who've heard uh, the Lyme disease podcasts and... I'm thrilled that my audience is so positive and so supportive and wonderful. Thank you. You guys are cool. Speaking of my audience, I have a new Patreon supporter. I have to throw a huge thank you to Nita Atkinson. She's been following the podcast and, you know, we, we've been in touch. We chat on Facebook and she's a super cool person. And then all of a sudden, out of nowhere, she becomes a $15 a month patron on Patreon, which is insane. That's huge. That's so incredibly generous. I've never had a $15 a month patron before. Uh, I have... Uh, I think 10 patrons before her that were all between one and $3 a month, which is fantastic. And, you know, just a dollar a month makes me so happy and giddy. And I'm so happy to all of you who support me at all. But 15 is huge. So there's a whole bunch of Patreon rewards that have never been, um, <laughs> never been redeemed by anybody. So this is the first time that someone's gone up to the $15 level, which involves getting my whole back catalog as Jesse Plack. There's three albums that, are, that you get digitally, and then you get two of them on physical CD. Uh, I ordered a thousand CDs of my first two albums, Copper Sun and Washington from the Shadows, and I still have a bunch left. If you sign up for $10 a month, you get physical copies, and I believe 15, if I'm remembering this all correctly, which I should, because I made it up, you get personalized copies of those CDs. Uh, You also get the entire sci-fi album in digital format, Um, all current and future releases on the sci-fi album. I think that's the $3 a month level. You get the premium podcast for $2 a month, and then there's this special video of me dancing with synthesizers that you get at $1 a month as a thank you. So Nita gets all of that stuff, and I had this interesting moment where I had to decide... Do I sign CDs that say Jesse Plack as Jesse Mercury or as Jesse Plack? And I'm like, oh, I, don't, I don't know. That's weird. I don't know. Is it weird to get a CD personalized from the artist signed in a different name? Um, so I actually wrote to Nita and I said, hey, Nita, what do you want? I don't know what's good for this. And she said whatever I'm comfortable with. So I'm going with Jesse Mercury because I'm really, I'm really trying to move away from using my real name for anything at this point, anything public. Uh, you know, the stage name at first was kind of a... Way to focus on the sci-fi project. I wanted something kind of evocative of sci-fi for my name for the sci-fi project, and I kind of thought that I'd be releasing stuff as Jesse plaque still and as Jesse Mercury. But I also think of Jesse Mercury as a brand, and it's so much easier for me to push a brand when it's not my real name. And I just love it. You know, I love not having to worry about the personal nature of having my real name out there on on all of this stuff that I'm releasing because I release a hell of a lot of stuff. So uh, at, at this point. For my public persona, I really think of myself as Jesse Mercury. So that feels like who I am at this point, which is cool. I mean, I've, you know, I've made up something that I now own and feels like me in a really cool way. I also own the trademark on it, which is exciting. So I'm going to sign these CDs as Jesse Mercury and ship them off to Nita today. Nita, thank you so much. You, your support is huge and wonderfully appreciated. I, you know, while, while I'm talking about Patreon, I want to take the second to rethank all of my patrons because they are still supporting me. So let me pull up my Patreon here. Someday, someday I will make enough to support myself off of my creative stuff. And that will be glorious. I don't, I don't think I've even ever done this before. I know that I've mentioned people as they sign up. But uh, let's see. Let's just go through everyone and list them all by name as a thank you. So Adrian Barrios, Andy Alhada, familiar names maybe, Barton McGuire, Evan Carter, Jane Smith, Jeff Anderson, Michael Brown, Nita Atkinson, Sarah Lehman, The Third Wave of Entertainment, which is actually uh, the guys from the Indie, Indie Intellect podcast, and uh, Daniel Sanchez from that podcast has a new show called The Next Big Thing Podcast. So, uh, yeah, throw him some support. Check that out. He's at Danotic on Twitter, at Danotic, D-A-N-O-T-I-C-K, and Yael Ross. Uh, so So, yeah, there's some familiar names on there. Some of my podcast guests also support me, which is really exciting. And my girlfriend supports me, which is super cool. But all of you, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you so much. You're getting me one step closer to making my dreams come true. Recently, I decided that I should be using this Patreon money to help grow the sci-fi project to set myself up for success in any ways that I can. Maybe, maybe some advertising. I haven't really done that yet, but I've been thinking about it. But, uh, I did sign up for a Bandcamp Pro page, which is 10 bucks a month. So your Patreon support is helping me have this Bandcamp Pro page, which is super cool. And that allows me to sell the individual episodes of my premium podcast. So if you don't want to sign up for two bucks a month to get all the episodes, you just want to hear one individual episode, you can do so on Bandcamp. Uh, thanks to my patrons, which is super cool. And hopefully uh, people will take advantage of that and I can do more cool stuff because I'll be, you know, selling more podcasts, which would be neat. I love giving away podcasts for free. I mean, this show and Sci-Fi on Trial. I also love having a premium podcast with this uh, $1 an episode paywall or 2 bucks a month. Um, so that if that's something you're interested in, you can you can do that. Uh, I just had a new episode come out of the premium podcast. It is the bonus episode for the trial of Terminator Genesis which just came out from Sci-Fi on Trial. So the trial's awesome. The bonus episode's awesome. I'm so thrilled that I finally got an episode of that out. It had been quite a while, I think since last February, since I got an episode out just because Lyme disease was uh, a little rough. Recording Sci-Fi on Trial is a lot harder than recording an episode of this show, which is just normally one-on-one conversations. Yeah, setting up like a table and five microphones and organizing people to show up, watching the movies, having a movie watching party. It's its very complicated. I love it. Keep doing it. But uh, but yeah, it's complicated. Speaking of sci-fi on trial, if you want to vote for the next film, uh, we're choosing between Mars movies. So the options are John Carter of Mars, Ghosts of Mars, The Martian, and uh, what was the last one? Mission to Mars. That Gary Sinise movie that I really liked when it came out. I also kind of hated it. It was weird. I need to watch that again. Uh, so right now, John Carter of Mars is in the lead. If you want to vote, you can do so on Twitter at SciFi on trial. I think there's two days left to vote at the time of this recording, maybe two and a half. And I'm recording this on June 29th, which is the day this podcast is going to come out. And Holy fuck. That reminds me uh, tomorrow. June 30th is the two year anniversary of this podcast. Actually uh, the first episode TNG Trek begins came out on June 30th, 2015. So, wow, quite a journey. Uh, just getting bigger and better all the time. It's actually a great time to celebrate my two-year anniversary because this month I got twice as many downloads as last month for the podcast in general, which is insane. I mean, I'm not really sure what's going on, but <laughs> but it's very exciting. So I'm assuming there's a bunch of new people listening to the show. Uh, welcome. I'm so thrilled you're here. I've noticed a lot of plays on old episodes, which is really cool uh, and really gratifying. I guess if you build it, they will come. I mean, someone should make a movie where that's a theme in it because it's wise. So, yes, thank you so much for listening. Two years of sci-fi going strong, and and here we go into year number three. Fuck yeah. All right, there's a lot that I needed to say before starting this episode. Is that everything? Did I say everything? I'm asking you, and you can't respond, so that's uh, unproductive. It's an unproductive thing to to ask. Anyway, let's get into some Babylon 5. This is gonna be a long episode. Uh, thank you for listening. This one was a weird one where it didn't really make sense to make it a two-parter uh, until I recorded this huge intro. Uh, the Babylon Five discussion was getting close to two hours. I think it's like an hour and forty minutes, something like that. But there's really no good stopping point. And I, I you know, I used to split stuff in half when there was no good stopping point and just kind of say, "Hey, you've got to get the rest next week." I'm trying to veer away from doing that. If there's a good stopping point, then I will. I'll make it two episodes, that's great But if there's not, I'm going to try to get it all together in one Um, Yeah, we'll see how that works out I mean, it's a time thing Because an episode that's twice as long Takes twice as long to edit and and finish So, uh, but this week This week I did it, which is pretty cool So let's dive into the year 2258 The dawn of the third age of mankind Babylon 5 It was the dawn of the third age of
1: mankind Ten years after the Earth-Minbari War The Babylon Project was a dream given form. Its goal, to prevent another war by creating a place where humans and aliens could work out their differences peacefully. It's a port of call, home away from home for diplomats, hustlers, entrepreneurs, and wanderers. Humans and aliens wrapped in 2,500,000 tons of spinning metal, all alone in the night. It can be a dangerous place, But it's our last, best hope for peace. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place is
0: Babylon 5. Douglas Gale, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's been a little while. Last time you were here, we did the Star Wars holiday special. No, no, that's not true. We played the the role playing playing game. Yeah, Yeah, you were there for that also. Yeah, that was fun. You were the droid. Yeah. (laughs) You didn't seem happy to be the droid.
2: Oh, no, I was. I I totally enjoyed it, but it was the confusion of like, what are we doing? How do we play? Oh, I thought you were droidist. I thought you had
0: anti droid (laughs) feelings. (laughs)
2: No, I might have in my own head been trying to figure out what the characterization was of the droid because they yeah. gave you little clues and signals of like, this is the kind of person they are. Yeah, so totally. that could have been uh, an angry droid coming across as though it was an angry person. Right.
0: <laughs> yeah, that was an interesting night because we tried to do a very complicated thing with no planning mm-hmm. <laughs> and it worked out as as you could expect, but it actually came out kind of great. Yeah, I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, the episode was fun. I liked it a lot. Yeah. The. Um, I put in some Star Wars music behind it, which <laughs> made the whole thing feel like great. Yeah, I, I liked it. Nice, it was a good time. Well, and you're back now. I'm back again. You're back again, and uh, we're here. We have convened to talk about Babylon Five. Babylon Five, specifically season one. <laughs> so I, yeah, Our I last just started. Best hope for peace. <laughs> I just watched this through for the first time, mm-hmm. and you'd never seen it. I'd never seen it at all. I'd yeah. never seen a single episode of the show. How like much? You- I, I couldn't even... Uh, I could tell you, I think, if I saw a picture of Londo, yeah. I would say, oh, that's Babylon 5, right? Right, but not know who the character was or exactly. what they did. Exactly, yeah. yeah. What did you know about Babylon 5 before you started watching it? Like, what was <laughs> your... <laughs> All I knew was that people were always comparing it to Deep Space Nine and saying that yeah. uh, Deep Space Nine ripped off Babylon 5 because yep. the script was circulating earlier. Yep. Uh, which I forgot until... Like halfway through season one, cause something I'm like, that's like Deep Space Nine. It's like, right. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But um But it's so funny because the shows are so different. They couldn't be more tonally different. Very much so, yeah. Like like the tone of Deep Space Nine is very dark but real, you know? Yes. And I Babylon five is a little bit it's like a little bit more majestic in tone. Yeah. <laughs> it has yeah, plumage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's yeah. something that is I, I believe
2: intentionally going for high art. Yeah. You know, I don't think that anyone involved with Deep Space Nine thought anything more than like, let's make a really fucking good Star Trek. Totally. Where I feel like uh, uh J. Michael Straczynski was like, I want to make an epic sci fi story, you know? Yeah,
0: totally. Yeah. And I think that's what drew me to the show was that I'd heard that from yeah. fans. And I have it's to part say, part of the mythos. Yeah. I saw, I saw pieces of that in season one but just pieces and it was kind of tantalizing it's like here's what this show could be right uh and i've heard from other people that you really have to just kind of stick it out to get to that point season one is the worst of the five seasons yeah yeah i still liked it like i still i was surprised when you when you posted
2: that i was like oh jesse's gonna love the rest of it then
0: yeah I, (laughs) i can't wait to watch the rest of it i liked it i really liked Sinclair, yeah. like I really connected to that character, yeah. and this is the only spoiler that I have for season two, and I will share it right now. So, spoiler alert. Yeah, uh, I hear that he's replaced on the show. That's and-
2: another thing. To me, the it's a five year story that was planned out ahead, and the main hero character gets swapped out after season one. I think are the two biggest pillars of the mythos uh, hmm. for someone who hasn't at this point seen Babylon five. Like, yeah, I think those are unavoidable things to hear about the show.
0: Yeah. You know, I honestly didn't know that actually I Maybe knew the was- five, I knew that it was like a planned out five year thing. I think, yeah. I actually, I don't even remember if I knew that or not, but I didn't know that the commander was going to be replaced until I accidentally read it on Wikipedia oh, when I was part way right. through season one. And oh. I read about uh, what is, hold on. I put up Wikipedia sure. so that I could remember actors names. Uh, let's see. The first one or the second one? Oh, wow. Andy, my girlfriend just texted me that uh, she, she's at the Tonys right now. Oh, um, oh, her congratulations. Parents, her parents produced uh, Come From Away, a Broadway play, and they're at the Tonys and they just won for Best Director.
1: Damn.
0: That's amazing.
2: All right. Congratulations, Andy's parents.
0: Yeah. I think they're up for Best Musical. Wow. So we'll see. We'll get texts throughout the evening. <laughs> He's lying. I can tell.
1: Everyone lies, Michael. The innocent lie because they don't want to be blamed for something they didn't do. And the guilty lie because they don't have any other choice. Find out why he's lying. The rest will take care of itself. Okay, let's see. Quick
2: facts. Setting. I want cast. Right. Are you trying to find the actors who performed the two commanders? Uh, just the first one's name. Um, O'Hare. Michael O'Hare? I think it might be Michael O'Hare, yeah.
0: Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, as as Sinclair. Yeah. Uh, well, actually, so, okay, let's talk through season one. Sure. The first thing I wanted to talk about was just going through the characters. Yeah. And this segues well into that, talking yeah, about yeah. Sinclair. Yeah. Uh, Sinclair, to me, was kind of like the The reason to keep coming back every week oh, when I watch season one, yep. uh, even though I didn't watch, you know, I didn't watch them a week apart. But you know what I mean? I do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Proverbial
2: yeah. weekly watch of a television where show. it stops becoming a slog that you feel you have to do in service to a serialized story, but a eagerness and an anticipation to watch another episode.
0: Yeah, like there's yep. a character that I'm friends with. Yeah, yeah, that yep. I that I want to see. Yep. And actually, I felt that way about. Uh, Ivanova, yeah. Like right away, as yeah. soon as I saw her, it took a little longer with Sinclair, but I felt that way within like four or five episodes. Yeah. Garibaldi, I didn't feel that way until maybe like halfway through season one. Uh, you know,
2: um, I've, I'm rewatching them now myself from having seen them the first time when they were coming out. I'm halfway again through season two. I still don't like Garibaldi. <laughs> yeah. I still, he's
0: still someone who's like, no. Oh. He's kind of like space cop. <laughs> He's like kind of like a male chauvinist a little bit absolutely, and it's kind of obnoxious, it is yeah, and it's and it's uncritiqued, it's just out there, yeah, you know
2: he's kind of that way, yeah, like
0: but he's always he's always leering at someone, yes,
2: yeah, and part of that though is that's to me one of the things that was really obvious to me rewatching it was kind of how the tone of the show you wouldn't get away with it now, you would have yeah. to be more critical or have another take on these particular characters. There's just like yeah. some, there's certain real blatant sexism yeah. or even like hacky jokes, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that stuff really weighs down the first season. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I had to see it and forgive it, you know? Yeah. To to see the story underneath. And luckily I felt like the story underneath was really worth telling and that mm-hmm. the I could I felt like there was someone at the helm who had a vision. Yeah. Uh, I feel like that comes through in season 1. Absolutely. And a lot of this sort of hackneyed stuff is also in Star Trek, you sure. know. Sure, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's hard to it's hard to be as much of a Trekkie as I am and not be a little charmed by Yeah. Like, some of the shittier elements of these shows. What's interesting
2: is that Babylon 5 is uh, a contemporary of Deep Space Nine. Right. Yet its tone is more of a throwback to the original series' awkwardness and clumsiness. Oh, interesting. Know? That's next, true. Next Generation, uh, especially once it got later into the season, I felt had a had a much more modern take on people and characters. They're also trying to portray a more utopian yeah. version of the future. But... Uh, yeah, Babylon Five feels clunky, like <laughs> old school sci-fi clunky.
0: Yeah, it does at times, and and I like that. Like yeah. that felt familiar and uh, interesting, yeah. and it's something that I kind of liked about it. Yeah, just because I've I've spent so much time kind of acclimatizing myself to hokey sci-fi. Yeah, uh, and then learning to kind of uh, first of all appreciate it for what it is. And then sort of start to love it for sure. for what it pretends to be, yeah, I if feel that it, makes
2: sense. Uh, it makes 100% sense because the I feel that the CGI in that, you have to view it that same oh, way. Oh, yeah, totally. Because if you go into that expecting like summer blockbuster, or even if you go into it expecting like Star Trek Next Generation Season 1, you'll be sorely disappointed.
0: Yeah, the CGI is atrocious. This is like
2: your buddy with an Amiga
0: in college. Yeah. In it's doing- like Season 1 of Farscape bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, but... I don't know, but there's something about the setup of the show that's so interesting. Um, did you watch the pilot movie? I did, yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, what is the story? The, the general story is that there's this peacekeeping uh, mm. space station called Babylon 5. It's the fifth Babylon station. The other four have either been destroyed or mysteriously disappeared. Right. <laughs> uh, and then, according to the opening title crawl, Babylon 5 is the last best chance for peace. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> The name of the place Babylon, Babylon five. five. That's fucking awesome, by the way. Yeah, like that opening, that opening speech is fucking awesome. Okay, I'm
2: gonna do the, the mildest of spoilers you could possibly imagine. Okay, in the opening uh, crawl for season two, yeah, they change one of the phrases to s- describe it as being five miles long where in season one, they describe it as like 750 million tons of steel in space. So spinning metal, spinning yeah. Spinning metal, right. But then <laughs> I, season two, they go five miles long. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's right. Because <laughs> I feel like it's, uh, I'm kind of dense, and they show it in space, but with no relative scale. Yeah, you know. totally. And season two, they specifically say quarter of a million beings and, uh, or, two, or something like that, and then uh, five miles long cool spoiler alert technical
0: details (laughs) that's so interesting because i feel like what was missing from season one to make me really connect to the babylon 5 space station itself was Mm. technical details yeah there weren't many no and that's something that i love about star trek it's like i love the chief engineers always because they're always the ones who are kind of the interface between you and the inner workings of the ship. Mm-hmm. And I love learning about how the ship works. Yep. Like watching miles O'Brien try to figure out how to work a Cardassian space station yeah. <laughs> brought joy to me constantly. And Babylon
2: five more, uh, it's more of the, the, like the um, dynamics, the politics, that's yeah. the stuff that they explained. The technical stuff, the science stuff is almost never addressed.
0: Yeah. And, you know what? There's like times that the political stuff worked for me and there's times that it didn't. Yeah. Sometimes it's, yeah. And it, there were some times where it ventured into episode one territory where they were talking about the politics of two people that I didn't care about uh, and they were not making me care. Right. And I was frustrated by that. Yeah. But, uh, I'm like really hooked into what's going on with the Mimbari and the Centauri. and sure. And I, that's, you know... The Narn. And the Narn, yeah. yeah. That stuff is really interesting to me. Yeah. The more fleshed out yeah. species. The,
2: one of the criticisms that season one uh, gets a lot is that there's sort of uh, what they call quote unquote monster of the week, yeah. which sometimes is literally a monster. Sometimes it's an alien race that you will never hear from again, which is very much in the Star Trek mold, Yeah, you know, where you've got like your Klingons and your Romulans and your Vulcans and your humans. And then you have these like one-off people that pop up and disappear.
0: Yeah, so, totally.
2: The uh, Babylon 5 does the same thing. Yeah, they also detriment.
0: they also do something interesting and and very unique from Star Trek, which is that they have multiple of each species yeah. living on the ship. Like there's right. y- we get to know two Minbari, two Narns and two right. Centauri yeah, yeah. in With, season 1.
2: Even though in a way the ambassadors stand in so that's if I don't know if I should get into the specifics of On the show, it's a space station. It's like the UN in space. And then...
0: We got distracted and forgot to continue this
2: part. (laughs) it's, It's made by... Humans made the space station, and they run it as neutral territory. But then there are ambassadors from the major players, species in the area. And those ambassadors on the show for the audience represent a stand in for their races, but then also literally as their characters in the show, they're representing their race to uh, not just humans, but to other people, other races in the galaxy. Well put. Thank you.
0: I'm glad you're here. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, some people have derisively, in the way that uh, Deep Space Nine will, uh, I think, El Sanchez refers to it as the gas station in space. Yeah. No, or Joss Chambers. I can't remember which one. So that's the dismissive thing of Deep Space Nine. It's a gas station in space. <laughs> Babylon 5 is dismissively referred to as UN in space. Right.
0: Yeah. I've seen that online. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, I actually really like that aspect of it. That's the thing about the first episode, the pilot movie, that really appealed to me was just yeah. the fact that it was like a future in which. People recognize that talking to each other and communicating and yeah. uh, coming to agreements together on a galactic scale was an important right. thing to do, right, and the idea that humans would be at the center of that, I thought was really great. I'm like, yeah, yeah. that gives us something to shoot for yes. you know
2: and in a in a like you said at a higher level where. Uh, TNG Picard represents a a difference from um, Kirk classically where Kirk is action and Picard is diplomatic but that's one person as a representative out in space and then uh, Babylon 5 is the representatives of those races together dealing with it um, amongst themselves
0: yeah like one one of each race comes together and they fight yeah yeah, Uh, yeah. And Londo and Jakar are always on the opposite side of every argument yeah yeah. Oh, I, I do want to talk... Okay, I definitely want to talk through all the characters in mm-hmm. season one. So I'm going to pull up a list so right. we don't we forget got, we, everyone. We did Sinclair. Yeah. And
2: then Garibaldi. And Let's then see. we did a... We started to touch on Susan Ivana. Ivana, Ivana, Ivana?
0: Ivanova? Ivanova. Ivanova. Um, Babylon 5. I'm just going to look up season one. Sure. That might be easier. Okay, regular cast. Michael O'Hare as Commander Jeffrey Sinclair. We yeah. were right about that. Yeah. Uh, so I thought Sinclair was like... Really well cast. Yep. Agreed. He, he's so just like solid. He's the type of guy that you want to follow. Yeah. And he's not through any sense of being imposing or commandeering or, you know, strict, but you just kind of want to be liked by him because yeah. he seems to know right and wrong. Right. And you want that type of person to affirm you as being good. You yeah. You know yeah.
2: what I mean? Yeah. Uh, he's very comforting.
0: Yeah. Totally. He's a, he's like a positive paternal figure for the space
2: station for the show.
0: Yeah. And then, so the whole backstory of the war with the Mimbari, where the Mimbari beat the humans, they were about to destroy them, mm-hmm. and then they surrendered. Right. And then... It all is kind of wrapped up in some mystery surrounding Sinclair and right. something that happened in his past, yeah. and memories that were seemed to be taken by the Mimbari. There's some, a hole in your mind. Yeah, like something after the Battle of the Line. Yeah, happened. the Battle of
2: the Line was when the Mimbari had chewed through Earth defenses and then had made it to uh, the humans' homeworld, Earth, and were ready to just finish the job. Yeah, and so then Earth sent up the last of their uh, space force. Uh, to defend the planet and that was they call it the battle of the line where the, in theory they're supposed to stand there and not let the Mimbari cruisers through but in fact they were just going to get chewed up like a hot knife through butter yeah. as the Mimbari had done through all the rest of their forces yeah and then uh, uh S- sinclair's was part of that the line and there are all of his. Teams are getting shot up, and then he does uh, a suicide run towards a Mimbari cruiser. So he's like, "Well, I'm gonna. This is the best that I can do." And then before he hits, his ship disappears, and then uh, he loses the next twenty four hours from his memory. And then uh, the Mimbari surrender. Yeah. So that's the and that's the how the that's part of the backstory, which is I think a great.
0: I love it. Yeah, and, I love it. Oh, and yeah. most
2: of humanity doesn't know that that's what happened. A lot of people that are, you know, uh, part of the higher echelon know it and it causes some sore spots, but other people talk as though the humans beat the Mimbari in the war.
0: Yeah. Which is a really interesting little piece of propaganda in world propaganda. Yeah. Yep. And I love that there's a little bit of distrust between the rest of the command structure and Sinclair, because Mm -hmm. he went in there and ended the war and no one understands how or why Mm -hmm. even, The man himself. Mm -hmm. So they kind of have to take his word at that. And I think a lot of people don't trust him for that, even though he is being honest. Right. Because the memory starts to come back to him throughout the course of the first season. Yeah. Uh, but it still makes other people distrust him because that's just seems to be a part of human nature, is when someone does something you don't understand, you assume that they did it nefariously. Right, 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 right. They came at us out of nowhere. We never had a chance. The sky was full of stars.
1: And every star, an exploding ship. One of ours. My team was blown out of the sky in less than a minute.
2: Conspiracies are a big part. It's one of the ongoing themes of Babylon Five. Uh, free, yeah. free will. Uh, religion, uh, conspiracies, those are all, I think, strong themes that show up. And they, and I, all of them are addressed in season one and continue to get addressed through the rest of the series.
0: Yeah, and when the show goes for stuff like that in season one, I think it does succeed, for yeah, sure. Yeah, And that's, like, I am, like, genuinely excited to see season two, even yeah. though uh, I do have my gripes with season one. Um, right. I am, like, really excited about the story and all of this stuff, Yeah, I think, is so cool. Yeah. Like, I love the idea of, like, this whole clan of nerds out there who all know this story you yeah, know yeah, it's very yeah. complicated and complex yeah.
2: and people re it
0: yeah over and over yeah and i can see why because diving into something that's so uh just kind of dynamic and rich yeah. from a viewing perspective you don't have to get you know Everything from each episode, right? But you just need a little piece of that world in each episode. You need to like be able to reach your hand deep inside of an episode and pull out like a little nugget of goodness that you yeah. remember later because all of those things add up into the story underneath the surface that you can sort of watch when you start to re- go through repeat viewings. And yep. it's just so fucking satisfying.
2: And I so I saw it as they were coming out, and I've only seen it once apart from the rewatching now. So it's been because that was like 93, 94 to 98, I think is when it ran. Um, so it's been, you know, 20 plus years since I've seen any of them, never went back and rewatched it, um, started rewatching season one now, uh, for this podcast and was amazed at how many hints or how many ish- uh, um, instances of foreshadowing they have for oh, the future seasons Cool. where you're, it's, you would never, never, never notice it on your first viewing. No one would. Yeah. But as a rewatch, you're like, oh, damn! They yeah. had this. This guy truly had a plan where i feel like if like lost where they were to- right. they told everyone we've got a we got a plan we got a plan there was no plan if you watched lost and then waited 20 years and watched season one again yeah you would be like none of this none of this makes any sense right there's no hints right you don't watch and go oh yeah yeah and he really did and it's impressive
0: yeah totally that's that's uh kind of a feat you know like the- people people who have those types of Passions don't generally get to make the TV that is mass-consumed.
2: Especially in 94. Especially in 94, This was before Sopranos. Hold on, Miles wants up. Yeah. Miles, come here. Come
0: here.
2: Yeah, a lot of people um, I've seen it referred to as um, uh, uh, not part of the golden age, the so-called golden age of TV, but as like a transition show away from purely episodic to serialized shows.
0: Yeah, it's – because this show did that – I mean, Deep Space Nine did it concurrently, but Deep Space Nine started their serialization right with like in, in year, like, four. We, yeah, way into it. Yeah, right. which would have been basically year three or four of Babylon 5, which right. had been doing it since day one. Right. We, so, Babylon 5 definitely beat Deep Space Nine to the punch as far as, you know, serializing the storytelling. And, right. And for me, Deep Space Nine was a turning point where I realized that that's what I wanted. I think uh, I'd, known, yeah. I'd known for a while that that's what I wanted, but Deep Space Nine like provided it to me and proved it to me in a way that was really special to me,, yep. because it was a Star Trek Star show. Trek thing, yeah. And I had already wanted that from Star Trek. I like, just just tell me this one piece of this story over the course of like... Three years, yeah. you know. Yeah, yeah. Get into the nitty gritty de- gritty detail of of what happens after this event because yeah. this event was you know shattering to these people's lives. Like, oh. w- what happens next? And you're you know, gonna
2: love Babylon Five. Oh my god, I can't <laughs> wait! Yeah. It, so um, I was reading some other people's reviews of it uh, after watching it now. And uh, this one particular writer for AV Club who goes through deep analysis of basically every episode. Uh-huh. Uh, and it's really fascinating. And um, one of the things they talk about is um, promises, that Babylon 5 makes promises and keeps almost all of the promises it makes Oh, in a cool. In a way that other shows don't. Yeah. And they're not even intending to keep their promises. Some of these other shows, are just like, this will be fun. Yeah. And Babylon 5, if there's ever... I'd say almost anything where you're like, ooh, they'll tell you later. Like, that gets resolved.
0: Nice. Yeah. That's good to know. Yeah. Because after Lost, I was a little burned where I, <sighs> I stopped trusting storytellers as much. Because yeah. I feel like serialization caught on so much, then yep. it then became... Uh, how do we? How do we kind of one up serialization, which right. became like this cliffhanger yeah. uh, ending of episodes? Yeah. So then every episode is a cliffhanger, and then things just completely stop feeling real. Yes, because they never take a breath.
2: Yeah, and and if, and if to me it feels false. It's yeah. cheating. Um, yeah, I, I'm. I was so mad uh, again to bring up Lost uh, when word had been leaked, or they had said explicitly that they trust us. We have a plan. Trust us. We have a plan. Right. But they had seven seasons, and if that was their plan, that was a terrible plan.
0: So, I listened to the Lost podcast uh, when they were making it. Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof would oh. come on and talk about what they were going to do with the show. Oh, yeah. And they would say, even on that podcast, you know, like, we will tell you what this means. Wow. We will tell you. They said it on the podcast. And then, as you listen deeper into the run of the podcast, when they're finishing up the show – they start to say things a little different and it's kind of a transition from uh, like, well, some things are better left as a mystery. Uh, you know, they start to pepper that into the conversation sure, yeah. on the podcast. And then by the time you get to the end, they say these things are are explicitly being withheld from you to make your story experience better basically. Cause wow. like you can take from it what you want. <laughs> and that's like their storytelling method. But I, I honestly don't believe it. Like I, when I watch the show, I, and you get to the smoke monster uh, their explanation for that honestly felt to me like maybe, like they just didn't know when they started the show. Yes, like agreed. they had a, a general idea of where it was going to go, mm-hmm. but uh, but I feel like maybe like, I, I always hear that the first shot and the last shot were always planned. You okay, know, sure. of Lost, which makes sense because spoiler alert, it's the same fucking shot. <laughs> but, <laughs> so I believe that, but I feel like maybe they had a couple of things planned and right. then filled in like 95% of the details as they went along, but pretended that they knew more than they did. Yeah, yeah. And and it just really lost my trust by the end of it. And I did not like the last season. I didn't yeah, enjoy, me I either. enjoyed maybe two episodes out of the last same, season. Yeah, the
2: same boat. Uh, yeah. I agree. And Babylon five was the thing that made me think that serialized shows when people say that they have a plan will be awesome. And I, hmm, that, cool. that helped convince me to stick with lost far longer than I think I should have because I just Uh, I felt like no it's gonna be like Babylon 5 and it's all gonna tie it together
0: I watched Lost twice to check (laughs) and it was not there the (laughs) second time either Uh, and it was painful the second time like I I came to peace with it by the end because you know you gotta move on with your life sure you know
2: (laughs) babylon five for anyone that was burnt by lost if you like (laughs) sci-fi it it is
0: is, is the healing salve
2: (laughs) for the the wounds of lost
0: (laughs) the lost burns
2: (laughs) (laughs) i was gonna say on the wounds of lost sounds like the title of a babylon five episode (laughs) (laughs) the titles that they have are are you depending on how you want to view them, either super poetic or super pretentious? I
0: I veered towards pretentious. Yeah, like all of season one is uh is in in fan circles referred to as signs and portents. Right, each season has a title. Yeah, and they, so they pick a title of one episode that kind of sums up the whole that season. Defines it. Yeah, yeah. is it is, is that correct? Signs and portents. Signs and
2: portents. Yeah, portents. Portents. Portents.
0: P o r t e n t s. It's you use that word. Use that word. It's a word I use so infrequently that I don't actually know how to pronounce it now that I'm saying it out loud. I'm
1: grateful the psychor has given you a purpose in life. When that purpose includes scanning my mind to prove my loyalty, it's not only invasion of my privacy, but my honor. As for fear, if you enter my mind for any reason, I will twist your head off and use it for a chamber pot. If you'll excuse me.
0: So that's one character. Second character is <laughs> Claudia Christian as Lieutenant Commander Susan Ivanova. Yeah. Uh, Ivanova. Ivanova. So the first time I saw that was before it was pronounced, and I heard it in my head as uh, Ivanova. Ivanova. Yeah. Well, that also
2: fits in with sci-fi. Nova.
0: I guess I don't know. Um, and then like, it was Ivanova, which sounds so much better, and yeah. I was so happy to know that I was wrong because I'm like, I have I, uh, Ivanova is kind of an awkward name yeah. to to have to listen to for for five years, but when I found out I was Ivanova, I was like, "Ooh, that's snappy! I like it." And then I was sold. So she might be my favorite character, actually. Yeah, uh, she's one of my favorites for sure. Yeah, I really,
2: really like her. I feel like she's very underused, but yep. and she has—they give her some of the worst attempts at humor lines but uh, <laughs> i love
0: that shit uh, the, she the just way has she no sells sense them. of humor and yeah. she's just trying to pretend she does for a second and, yeah. and no one is fooled i yeah. like it i yeah. like it.
2: it it's a she's a very unique character too for yeah. sci-fi yeah um, I, they hadn't really done uh, a, a woman like that in and I, I think they pulled it off really well yeah, what uh, a woman like what? Um, somebody who was uh, no-nonsense, um, uh, humorless, and they didn't try to also like, oh, but she's also super pretty. Let's sell this angle, you know?
0: Yeah, I mean, the actress is gorgeous, but they don't, uh, you're right, they don't, they don't present her as a sexual object.
2: Right, right. and um, Which is
0: very different for sci fi TV. <laughs> yes.
2: And they don't put her as, like, save the woman in crisis,
0: you know? Right. She's uh, the one who's saving everyone else's butts. Right. She's, She's th- the one who's coming after Garibaldi when Garibaldi fucks up, yeah, you know? Exactly. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and the people are intimidated by her uh, and respect her, you know? Yeah. Uh, I think Tasha Yar is close to that, but. But I, she was naked in episode two. Uh, yeah. And then I think she left too soon to really yeah, explore totally. that character.
0: Yeah, I agree 100% everything you just said. That was a perfect explanation.
2: (laughs) And they do something interesting where they explicitly state that she's a Russian Jew. And -hmm. then they explore her Jewish faith and her religion. Yeah, you know,
0: I'm a Russian Jew. And Ah, that was fucking cool for me. Yeah. It was like legitimately cool for me to see that represented. Because that's so specific. Very specific. And I love the idea of just representing like... As random of a thing as you can. Yeah. Just because someone out there will be like, oh, yeah. It's a detail
2: that's about me. the character. It, I think it yeah. adds depth.
0: And I like it.
2: They don't shortchange it, you know? It's interesting. And that's yeah. another thing that I feel that makes Babylon 5 different from some of the other big sci-fi shows. Its ties to the modern era are much clearer and much more explicit. Mm. You know, Star Trek has this very distant connection from a uh, modern Earth to oh, I its, get it. to its yeah. new future. I see. It's it's not as far away. Yeah. And well, what's weird is that as far as actual years go, I think it's probably close to Star <laughs> Trek, you know, because they're like twenty third, 2300, right? 2389 or something like that. that would,
0: that's an interesting question about where, where in the future all these three shows lie in relation to each other. Right, right. That'd be interesting to find out. I don't know. it. Secondary
2: research.
0: Yeah. Someone, I'm not willing to look it up. Somebody, somebody do it for us, please. I'll look
2: it up if I remember after the podcast.
0: If you listen to the podcast, you'll be reminded. Yeah. <laughs> of that and many other things. Oh, and that's the other
2: thing is that Babylon 5, over its five-year run, you really feel the progression of time. Cool. Like in, I think it's not until maybe even later of things like Star Trek or uh, Next Generation or um, Deep Space Nine do get a sense of like, oh, time has passed and the world has changed. You know. Yeah. Totally. They're they're much more inclined to like hit the reset button and then maybe some uh, changes at like a seasonal level.
0: Yeah, that's something that I'm nervous about because I'm. From what I understand, I mean, if I'm getting a new Commander season two, I got to be braced for change because I really, really like Sinclair. Mm-hmm. I, like, It's a toss up for me between Ivanova and Sinclair is sure. my favorite character. And I really it's, like them both.
2: It's one of the shames, I think. And of Londo. The sh- cool. oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um The It's never been stated explicitly. Um, they say that it was just like a mutual thing. Uh, the creator, uh, JMS... J Michael Straczynski and Michael O'Hare had for whatever reason decided that he wasn't going to continue, but there's all kinds of talk that it was the studio that didn't like him and they wanted somebody more dynamic.
0: I actually read something that contradicts that, Yeah, that the creator actually confirmed is that Michael O'Hare was having a uh, mental issues. Oh, okay. He was having like paranoid delusions and it uh, was getting really difficult for him to act.
2: Oh, uh, uh, okay. Especially
0: being in an environment where they were, there was warlike things on the show. And, right. Or I might've just made that last thing up. I don't remember. But anyway, yeah. uh, but the, he was suffering from some sort of oh. um, mental disability. So right. he left the show for his health and That's, he didn't want that revealed until after <sighs> he died. Wow. But he actually asked when he was, uh, when he was, when he knew his life was almost over. Right. He actually asked, JMS, J. Michael. I've never said his name out loud. J. Michael Straczynski. I think it's Straczynski, but I I may be wrong. But that's why everyone says JMS. JMS. I'm into it. That's that's, like JMS has come out and said, you know, Uh, he wanted you to know this as fans. This is why that character left. And he, you know, like we all wanted him to stay, but he needed to do this for his health.
2: Wow. Well, credit to uh, JMS for keeping that secret for so long. Yeah. So then I would imagine that the idea of a studio interference is just that plays into your normal assumption. Of right, like, totally. It seems like such an odd choice to make. Totally. But still, oh, I wonder if somebody could keep that secret these
0: days that long, you know? I like That's that they very revealed that. I really like, I think the whole thing is classy, like start yeah. to finish. I think uh, JMS holding back the information yeah. was super classy. I think that... Uh, know Michael O'Hare asking for it to be released was classy because it shows a level of respect for his fans that's incredibly unusual right and that's something I've heard from my friends who are into Babylon 5 is that the uh the actors from this fan community are incredibly giving
2: yeah which is
0: so cool and I think
2: part of it stems out of the um early adoption of the internet by JMS where Mm, he was super active in the online community for the show talking about it a lot as it was being aired and there were, like, mini contests where people could win certain things that showed up in the show. And
0: oh, cool. And
2: lots of little nods to the online community in the show based
0: on no names way. of
2: sectors and things like that. Oh, wow.
0: That's so cool. Yeah. Oh, man. Can you imagine, like, being able to influence a show like that yeah. in some little way? It'd be so yeah. neat. And that's one of the things that when you start to
2: read about Babylon 5, the meta level, you know, of... Uh, Not the show itself, but what was going on in the world in the context of the show. Yeah. um, Is that it was the first show that uh, I think really had that level of in-depth online connection with fans with creators. Very cool. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Were you involved in that when you watched it? I would read stuff,
2: but I was not like an mm. active... I tend to be a lurker
0: almost always in online communities, so... <laughs> oh, really? You just like watching from the back, but not or just participating? Like, yeah,
2: just like reading, going on to, you know, the rec arts, whatever it was, the Usenet group for Babylon 5, looking for JMS posts. Like, what does he say?
0: Oh, gotcha. Let me yeah. read about that.
2: I don't need so, to read other people arguing with each other.
0: You're using it as a, as a pathway to the creator's thoughts.
2: Yeah, exactly. Some more cool. supplemental information. Yeah. But that's also probably where I get bad ideas like like, oh, you know, the
0: studio execs. Yeah, I think that, you know, different stories were, like, told over over the years. If I remember in the article correctly, I think he said that they actually kind of let some of the rumors propagate because they were trying to protect the truth. Which makes sense, yeah. Yeah. And why not make
2: the studio look bad?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know, yeah. (laughs) They canceled it after four
2: seasons, so they deserve to get a little... That's
0: right, and then they got brought back for a fifth by someone else, right? TNT. TNT, weird. yeah
2: They were like a... It's before UPN or the WB. They were whatever that network was. U-P-I-N or something. <laughs> oh, yeah. What was it? Before UPN? Yeah. Before WB. I don't remember. I, don't I mean, remember. You, you look it up and you'd be like, never heard of it. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. It's like, I think it, or U-P-E-N. Oh, interesting. I wonder if it's on this article. It might be, as far as the initial broadcast uh, company.
0: Uh, I did find the the episode intro. Oh. <laughs> it was the dawn of the third age of mankind
2: It's yeah. a good Michael O'Hare like,
0: <laughs> Ten years after the Earth-Mimbari War The Babylon Project was a dream-given form <laughs> <laughs> The way that he pronounces that is really mm-hmm. interesting mm-hmm. I tried to do it justice just now <laughs> Let's see, this is long I'm just going to read the end It can be a dangerous place But it's our last, best hope for peace. This is the story of the last of the Babylon stations. The year is 2258. The name of the place? Babylon 5. Wait, wait, wait. It's Babylon 5. (laughs) (laughs) You were a little early. That's okay. We'll we'll get it next time. (laughs) Um, Oh, okay, let's see. Uh, Air date. P-T-E-N. P-T-E-N. P-10. Let's see what that is. Never heard of it. I've never heard of it. Primetime right. Entertainment Network. And I was wrong about
2: the year that Babylon 5 takes place. You said it was uh, 2258.
0: Oh, 2258. And Star Trek's what? Like, Next Generation, I think, is the 23rd century? Uh, I don't know. I was look 24th right. century. <laughs> I think the original series is 23rd century and Next Generation is 24th century. Uh, I know Duck Dodgers is in the
2: 23rd and a half century. Or is it 25th and a half? Well, Went for a joke, didn't know the facts. <laughs> <laughs> Duck Dodgers? Duck Dodgers in the 24th that? and a half century! That's is that uh, from South Park? No, that's um, uh, Warner Brothers. It's, um, it's uh, Daffy Duck as a Buck oh. Rogers parody. That's the one with the Martian. That's where he's, that's the, the Martian dude. Cool. Uh, Marvin. Marvin, Marvin the Martian.
0: Oh, they didn't win for best musical. Evan Hansen won, but that's okay. We had a great night, and we we're happy to be there. That's fantastic. Well, they won for Best Director. That's cool. That's pretty good, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's exciting. I got pictures of them at the red carpet, and it was, they looked fantastic. It was so cool. Nice. These
3: aliens may be just snakeheads to you, but the Muay Thai means something to him. You treat it like a tank fight. Oh, come on, man. Don't be like Stroker. that.
0: Jerry Doyle as Security Chief Michael right. Garibaldi. Yeah. So, I... I like Garibaldi. Yeah. Like believe me, I'm I'm on team Garibaldi. Okay. But I don't know if I would back him up. You know, if like he if he got into some shit, I'd be like god damn it, Michael. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you you did this to yourself. Yeah. Uh and he's like I really I actually really like him a lot. I love that he's like battling alcohol addiction. Yep. I love that he's kind of like recognizes that he is maybe, or he has some bad guy tendencies in him right. that he is keeping in check. Yeah. I think that's actually really great character stuff. And yeah. um I, there's, there's just a, it's not even the character itself that bothers me, it's the way that he's presented and the way that he interact- i guess maybe it is the character the way that he interacts with women is really obnoxious,
2: yeah and i I feel like that's a misstep on the part of the creator. I think that they're they're intentionally trying to make this part of who he is, yeah but uh, unexamined, you know? It's, right, yeah. And, and often played for humor. Totally. But it's it's like, oh, you're, you're making this lady uncomfortable. That's, right. that's, that's not funny.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's not funny. Yeah. It's really creepy. Yeah. And I feel like there are many alternate realities out there where Michael Gilbaldi is like a sex offender of some form Right, or another, right, you know? right. Yeah. It, it, but in this one, we get, like, the ultimate version of him. Like, we yeah. get a good version of
2: him. Ah, he's a decent guy. Yeah. If you did a gritty reboot of Babylon 5, it'd be like, oh, Gary Baldy's up on sexual harassment. Yeah, plates. totally. Very validly so.
0: Yeah. But I do, I mean, I do like the character and root for the character mm-hmm. a lot. Um, yeah. Dylan, just before he died, the Minbari assassin looked at me
1: and said, there is a hole in your mind.
3: An old, minbari insult.
0: Mira Ferlin as Ambassador Delenn. Yeah, I really liked her in that. She, I, I love she, her. Yeah, she's. Re,
2: I, I, uh, her portrayal in the Gathering—that's the pilot movie. Yeah, which I, I think is is okay, but not that yeah. great.
0: It was weird. It's the very acting weird. was terrible. They like the second in command lady was replaced. Yeah. with Ivanova. Yeah, the first girl was fine but she was not a good actress yeah she was not prepared for a show of this magnitude i don't think yeah uh i i think i maybe i read i looked up her career because i was really curious i'm like i don't she is not pulling this off in my estimation right um and maybe she was just young or something i don't know but uh yeah but that was like my blinding memory from the (laughs) the pilot movie is just like man that that's not a good actress yeah Feel like an asshole now.
2: No, no, it's fine. There's That's my be, a lot of people got replaced out of that one, and yeah. it was it was also a year later when they yeah, finally made weird. when they made their That's first weird. TV pilot. Pilot. But what you were saying about Delenn? Oh, is that her? Uh, her in that pilot movie is also not, I think, a good version of her. Oh, that once the show starts, they really do better things with her character. She.
0: Uh, has such a great accent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And same for Londo. Like, they have such great accents. Yes. And it really bothers me that only the lead of each species has an accent. And, like, the backup, char- like, the, the secondary character for each species speaks just, like, Americanized English.
2: Yeah. Well, I, With the Centauri, they tend to do, You'll. there'll be more and more Centauri. And yeah. you start to see more people sharing that accent.
0: Because Lanier is the other guy, yeah. played by Bill Mooney, yeah. who was Will Robinson on Lost in Space in the 60s. Right, Which right. is fucking weird. Yeah. And, and very cool. the Wish Them Into the Cornfield kid from Twilight Zone. Oh, right. Yeah. I don't know if I've seen that one, but I read about that. And then uh, the, the Barnes he was in Barnes. Like, he was in a bunch of Twilight Zone episodes, if I'm remembering correctly. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I only know how to say his name because I heard Mark Hamill talk about him. Oh, on a yeah. Fat Man on Batman podcast. Oh, ah, nice. I think. I, I question all of my memories now. <laughs> That's good. It's mean, a good place to be. Yeah. I have a bad memory. But um, yeah,
2: they do. The, yeah. Her accent is. is I think delightful. It's oh yeah, like, I love it. She's great. She was Rousseau on Lost. Yes. Yeah. I, that's when when I started watching Lost. That was one of the things that was <laughs> it appealed like, to you. Yeah. When they just had her reading the numbers, like, oh yeah, that's the Babylon Five lady. Yeah. You know.
0: Yeah. I, I guess those weren't as far apart as they look, because Babylon Five looks a lot older to yeah. me than it is because the badness of the, badness sort of of been, the CG. <laughs> right.
2: Yeah. It's bad. Yeah. And it would. It, and there was better things happening at that time. You know. Uh, with c
0: g on t v oh yeah, I think it was i think it was one of the first shows to jump to c g on full c g on t v instead yep. of having any models, yep. so it's there is a part of me that uh i don't know, I'm frustrated by that because i I feel like what's happened now is actually really positive with c g mm-hmm. on t v in that it's allowing t v shows to do things that are of a cinematic scale, yes, and I will always forgive. TV special effects more than I will forgive motion picture special effects because I understand the budget limitations in that situation. So I'm only really hard on CG when it's like a big budget movie where I know that they could have done better and they just didn't and it looks bad and it (laughs) bothers me, you know? I can see that. Yeah, that like really bothers me. But CG as a medium, I, I appreciate for what it makes possible. I just feel like it's done poorly so often because it's easy to do like too much and mm-hmm. everyone does too much like come on back off like don't yep. do that much yeah and, and I think the writing is what's more
2: important so I'm totally very willing to forgive uh, well I used to watch the old Doctor Who like the Tom Baker Doctor Who when yeah. that was on the air yeah and that's cheesy as fuck yeah. you know uh,
0: but I didn't care It didn't- totally I actually kind of don't care in Babylon 5 either I kind of I'm kind of learning to appreciate these bad yes. special effects and yeah. enjoy them from yes. a very, for, in a very particular way. Yeah. It's like, oh, that's a familiar shot of a 5 you yeah. know? That makes me happy. <laughs> uh, and it doesn't matter that it looks shitty because right. they did the best with what they had and that's kind of the spirit of the original Star Trek, you know, like the special effects are kind of terrible, but they're charming. Right. Which is so frustrating for me because like the version of that show that I've seen is the remastered version because Ah. that's so much easier to find on streaming services. Right. So I've only seen like a small handful of episodes with the original special effects and I want to see it because I like, I, I, they did a decent job of doing the remastered Star Trek. Right. But they, I feel like the CG replacements of everything was, I don't know. I understand why they did it, but it didn't quite work for me. Next yep. Generation, they did it right. You know, yeah. like they found the original footage and they yeah. they did that shit right. And I'm getting off topic. No. Anyway, so I kind of appreciate the bad <laughs> CG in that show, but it also does something that I like, which is that the CG was still so expensive that there's very little. There's very little of it. Yeah. And
2: I, I was thinking about this um, uh, today that uh, and it's not a spoiler because it's i think it shows up fairly obvious in the first season the when there are space battles they are short and brutal <laughs> you know what i mean like there's yeah. just like you get hit your your ship explodes whoa the, cool. know, right? that's interesting yeah uh, totally. but i th- i think part of that is that they're doing short scenes they they can't afford to do right. like a long drawn out elaborate battle.
0: Yeah. So I mean, it made me think about, I'm mean, like, why, so if this bad c- CG is not offending me, what is it about CG that offends me? It, uh, this actually sent me down a rabbit hole of thought. Ah, yeah. And I was considering the fact that, like, what is the purpose of special effects? It's right. to set up what your environment is. It's right. to tell you where you are and where the story takes place. Yeah. And if it's a sci-fi story, it's to set a sense of scale. Right. And to... I, the backdrop of this story is that you are in space and you're alone like in this spinning hunk of metal Right. so we need to see what that looks like yeah. to get a, a full view of what that means and the special effects in this show do that like yeah. they convey what they need to from a yeah. story perspective and I actually really like that so like when you watch Transformers the special or uh, Terminator Genesis is a perfect example because I just rewatched that recently and was struck by how much I didn't like it on a second viewing because I thought I liked it the first time but did not the second time uh so I was really struck by how the CG was more than any human could possibly contemplate to see <laughs> right. if they were actually in the environment in that moment. Yeah. So it isn't doing what the story needs you to do. It's doing what the audience wants to see. Right. And that's a fundamental yeah. point of view that bothers me. Yep. I want I want to be told by a story b- because I think it's good storytelling. You know, I want to be told how to experience it by the the elements of the medium that they are using right you know right. what i mean and but, special effects is one of those
2: yeah yeah that's a good point and i think that babylon 5 uh, uh does that well uh perhaps by the own their own limitations of the budget yeah. and the technology yeah uh, totally. but uh, it's, the jms does seem like somebody who's very in love with his own writing so sure. <laughs> uh, maybe even with a huge budget he wouldn't overwhelm it with cgi he would still want to have you know his scenes and stuff
0: hopefully we'll never find out because i've had one too many of my favorite creators Uh, ruined by getting a big budget oh sure
1: (laughs) if i'm gonna share in the blame i'd at least like to share in some of the fun
0: all right you can start by taking off your jacket there's a sink in the back you can wash your hands and
3: i am not a doctor
0: no but i'm sure we can find something for you to do if you're gonna join in the fun you might as well go all the way right Richard Biggs is Doctor Stephen Franklin.
2: Oh yeah, he to me is uh, in season one is is like an adequate character. He doesn't get—I <laughs> don't think he gets that much interesting stuff to do now, other than yeah.
0: he's the doctor. You know, I was frustrated by that character when he first showed up because in the original movie, it's like a like a uh, how old was that actor? Uh,
2: If I had to guess, I would say
0: late 30s, maybe even early 40s. Yeah. And then there was a a doctor on the show who was also black in the first episode. who was like 20 years older. Right. So they replaced him with another black doctor in episode two. Yeah. And I I just was thinking, oh, so you want to have a black doctor? Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. They had decided that. Yeah. I was like, that's a really, it's like, I appreciate that you want to be inclusive. Right. You know? But I felt this way on New Girl also, where they replaced one black cast member with another single black cast member between sure. the pilot and episode two. Yeah. And it just it just feels like... It just felt... It feels like oddly racist in a way that I don't know what to do about because I want there to be black characters on the right. show, you know? Yeah, it's...
2: So one of the things that you'll hear a lot about Babylon 5 is that the writer had trap doors in his plots. Yeah. So that if something happened with actors or casting or whatever, that if they had an integral part of the plot for the five-year plan, that he could drop out from their character and switch it into something else. Yeah. So there's a lot of talk about the uh psi, the psychic character who's in the gathering, right. who then isn't in the pilot, and then uh Ivanova and then the other uh commander, the female commander, second, I think they're called. Uh and she's a Asian woman and then right. her replacement is uh you know a Russian woman. So right. Um, Yeah, the doctor, it's a black doctor, goes to another black doctor, the commander of the station, you know, uh, the character is replaced
0: by another white guy, right? Another white guy with
2: the same initials.
0: Weird. It's like a similar face. I've seen pictures of it. Yeah, yeah.
2: So uh, it it does feel weird, but I also, I think that's part of, he has this idea of where he's going to go with it.
0: So you're thinking that the reason those decisions were made is because this creator had characters in mind that he needed to carry through five years. Yeah. Yeah. And when one actor didn't work out, he looked to another to fill that general position. Or, right, and
2: then and exactly, yeah. Because I yeah. don't think that there's anything integral in the five year plan of Babylon Five that you have to have a black doctor, but that he, yeah. that's what he wanted, and come hell or high water, that's what he was going to do.
0: See, for me, the only thing that would have made sense to do would be I, I, if you want if you're if you're trying to have a diverse cast, mm-hmm. when you have an actor's shakeup, like spread the diversity around you yeah. know like why not hire a couple people of it's it's th- one of the, uh, that are not white and then maybe right. like re- if you you know I, I don't know like don't replace re- replace the white guy with like a black woman you know <laughs> right, make exactly. a black woman the commander in season 2 yeah agreed uh, and then make the doctor like whatever you want it's one of the it's <laughs>
2: it's one of the uh, encouraging and frustrating things about Babylon 5 is it feels very Much like the creator was thinking in his mind of having diversity, but a lot of it comes across as tokenism. Right. But even for its time, that tokenism was beyond what other people were doing.
0: That's something to keep in mind, for sure. For sure. I feel like uh, it did that in a way that uh, the original series of Star Trek did, but I feel like Next Generation didn't. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, there are definitely examples where it fucked up, but right. like, as a general for the basic premise of the show, it did a pretty good job of keeping everyone an even playing field except yeah. for the Ferengi. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> you finally get to know uh, Dr. Biggs. I'm, what am I saying? Richard Biggs is Dr. Franklin. Dr. Franklin, yeah. The one episode, there's like two episodes where you get to know him a little better. One- Dr. Centric episodes. Yeah. One with uh, the woman who was from Lost in Space, which was really fun to have her guest star. Right. Who never um, has a
2: scene with Bill Mooney.
0: Yeah, which is kind of funny, but yeah. they—I'm sure they high-fived. Yeah, that's passing. that's she's someone who
2: has come across an alien device uh, <laughs> that she's using to quote-unquote heal people among the underclass of Babylon five. And then the doctor is suspicious. He thinks that it's quackery, that it's fake medicine, but then it's revealed that this device does actually work, but it drains the life of the person hooked up to it to extend the life or to heal the wounds of the person on the receiving end. Yeah. And that this woman, uh, June, what's the Lockhart. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know her last name. Is that right? June Lockhart, the mother from lost in space. She's using it. But she's drained. She's killing herself to heal the the people at Babylon Five, and then the doctor's journey in that is to go from being antagonistic and skeptical and wanting to get her shut down to ultimately supporting her decision to keep doing that.
0: Yeah, and I liked that. Like, I didn't love the episode because I thought it was a little. I don't know. I don't know how to say it, it was a little clunky mm-hmm. and a little obvious, I think, oh, was my problem yeah, with it. The, <laughs> but Subtlety is
2: not a strong point of Babylon 5 <laughs> ever.
0: <laughs> uh, but I did like that it was a story revolving around a character who's going through an ethical dilemma and yeah. coming out on a more positive side at the end. Yeah, I like that type of storytelling in general. I think that that's important to do. Yeah. So I like that that's happening, even if I feel like in that particular episode, it wasn't necessarily... It didn't really make me feel... What it wanted me to, I think. Right, but I still liked it.
2: Yeah, and it shows some of his arrogance softening. Yeah, because the other episode that is really the Doctor Heavy episode is the one Believers, and that's a classic sci-fi thing where there's a, 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 a an alien race and they have a sick child, and uh, right, the, there's a surgery that an easy to do not risky surgery the doctor can do to save the child's life but the religious beliefs of the family are if you cut him open then his soul will leave and then he might as well be dead that they only believe in cutting open animals not people so they won't and which is a direct analogy to the christian scientists
0: i love that episode that one actually was a high point of the season for me and was the one that really kind of made me start to actually like the doctor. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. Because they don't give you enough to like him until that point. You yeah. just don't have enough of him to really yeah. understand him yeah. as a character. Agreed. So it was nice to see his back up against the wall, see what what will he do in that situation. Yeah. Uh, and I thought that that was a very thoughtful episode that was played out in a really thoughtful way yeah. and it gave me hope. Yeah, that's great because that's, that's
2: when he says I am God.
0: Yeah. Which
2: is great. I mean, it's, uh, I think his arrogance was hinted at. Yeah. And that's a common trope among, you I mean, know,
0: doctors. Doctors, yeah. On TV. Yeah, <laughs> yeah,
2: yeah, especially. And so then,
0: looking at you house.
2: <laughs> this, that addresses it in that story. Again, not subtly, but it's still, it was nice.
0: Yeah, totally. So I, I do, I do like that character. Um, I loved the guy in the, the first episode, though. The original actor was yeah, so charismatic and he was, cool yeah. and I'm like
2: this is a cool choice. And then he's somebody who has uh, also he has an accent. Uh Yeah, I like which I would that too. I say like a, a, a an African accent I would never know what country. Yeah. But I did like that. I mean it sounds weird to say I like an accent, but it's Well,
0: it's just nice to see something represented, you yes, know? I want to see as much variety as possible when I tune into a sci-fi show. Right. I want to see I want things to be normalized that I've never seen before. Mhm. Cuz I'm Picky,
2: <laughs> yeah, it's good, and then, yeah, again, Babylon Five has got its problems along those lines, but did more than I think other contemporary shows were doing, especially in sci-fi. Totally.
3: Get Dr. Franklin fast. You know this girl? No, she's just taking a mind burst. She's a telepath.
0: Andrea Thompson is Talia Winters. Oh yeah, the psychic. She's the one that was yeah. replaced from the uh,
2: the first one as
0: well. Right, and then. One, wasn't the actress from the first one brought back in season three? She was like a stunt woman that was also on Next Generation, I think. Mm-hmm. I recognized her. Yeah. Uh, so I looked her up because I recognized her from Star Trek because she's been in a couple of episodes. I'm like, I know that face. Yeah. I.
2: <laughs> uh, I, uh, I uh, If that's a non-spoiler for season three, then I will confirm yeah. that she has brought back later on
0: that kind of shit excites me though like actors leaving and returning to a show yeah i have a warm spot in my belly for that like dr crusher yeah (laughs) like dreams do come true yeah dr crusher's back
2: well then you are definitely gonna enjoy the future of babylon (laughs) (laughs) awesome
0: um (laughs) so she was like a non-entity in the season like it seemed it seemed like they had no idea what to do with her they don't have like, Garibaldi lear at her.
2: Yeah, and then she, I feel like, is not portrayed the same way as Claudia Christian does with um, Susan Ivanova, where Talia Winters, who has superpowers... Yeah, basically. ...is often needed to be rescued by yeah. Garibaldi or other people in the station, where arguably she's one of the most powerful humans, for sure, on yeah. the station.
0: She was not presented as a strong character.
2: Yeah, yeah, she, she seems very fragile and delicate, which is, again... I have. I don't. I'm not criticizing that. It's. Th- it's not portrayed in any way that's either explained or addressed. Right. By it's uncritical, so it just feels off.
0: Yeah, it just feels like a, a shell of a character. It's like uh It's like oh, I've seen a character like this and other things. I'll put one into here. Right. Without any real knowledge of who that person was going to be, I feel like the whole Psycor subplot was put there. More for reasons that are going to have more to do with main characters later than right. than what's happening now. It just felt like a plant to me. Yeah, uh, that they're planting something into this world now because it's going to get us out of something in the future. Right, something big. You know, like right. this will be real important later on. So I felt like having uh, a character from the cycor on board was important.
3: Lieutenant Commander, granted you have your problems with the PsyCor, and I sympathize with your feelings, but I won't have you poisoning her with them. Like the facts about the
1: lives they've ruined, the people they destroyed, and the good they've done.
0: That was the one where they found the girl at the lower levels who had psychic ability and Psychor wanted to take her. Yep. And it was all about whether or not she has free will. Right. I love that episode. That was a really good one. Again,
2: one of the main points is free will in the show. Who can Mm -hmm. choose what they choose.
0: And seeing that Ivanova... has rebelled against that society personally because of her mom. Yeah, her mother was a psychic and then you have to join the psych or or you have to take drugs that suppress your powers. And that seemed to kind of drive her mom a little crazy, right? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. taking those drugs. Right. Yeah, it seemed like it had some sort of side effect that ruined her life. Ruined her, yeah, Yeah. totally. That's very compelling backstory. It's really... That's why... Another reason why I liked Ivanova so much is that she's well-rounded as a character. I just need more of her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. put her... Put her at the center of the action more often because it's always Garibaldi and Sinclair. Yeah. And often Londo. Yeah. And where's Jacquard? like was only there for half of the season and then he was gone.
2: Yeah, yeah, that's about right. And he, he's usually
0: just there in the background dealing with stuff. Um, Andreas Katsoulis I think who yeah. played he's, he's Ambassador Tom, Tomaloc yeah. uh, uh, the Romulan the, the big bad Romulan in, in Star Trek Next Generation like yeah. he's the biggest yeah. Romulan threat in yeah. Next Generation he's yeah. like the, he's the best yeah. every time you see him he's just like he makes some weird threat while he's smiling and then instantly his face goes very <laughs> serious <laughs> and that's when you know that he's not kidding around <laughs> Yeah, uh, I was so excited that he was on this show yeah. he's uh, great he's
2: He's a solid actor yeah. who I think you know he's wearing the, the most prosthetics i think of of any of the regular cast members uh and then he's playing perhaps the most alien of the races
0: yeah and it's, it's like the the klingons of this show absolutely absolutely there were times where i was a little frustrated by how klingon they were because i know how uh how much jms has said in the media about how star trek was ripping him off but i'm right. like Like brother, you got to recognize you are ripping off Star Trek, whether you want to or not. Like it's impossible to make sci-fi without ripping off Star Trek. I would disagree.
2: I think that the Klingon analogy is one. I think it's it. I don't think the intention was to think Klingon. Hmm. I do think the intention with you as a viewer and your uh, impression of the Narn was intended to convey one thing, even though that's not the reality. And I think that that does. Does that come through later? I think so. And I think rewatching it with no spoilers in season one, it's made explicit, I think, I hope. Uh, if not, forgive me. But they mention at one point that the Narn are were an agrarian, nonviolent species uh-huh. that was colonized by the Centauri, right. who devastated their home world and destroyed it. And then that has ended. And I I don't think they go into how that ended. But now the Narn have, since their colonization, become a militarized. Interesting. And then, and they're looking for revenge now. And you have all these other people like, "Eh, just chill out. At least you got your world back. They're like, we're going to fuck shit up these people ruined our planet yeah so and, and I think that is very different from the Klingons it's who very are very different yeah straight up just portrayed as we conquer things for no reason yeah where these were people who were pushed
0: into this uh, scenario yeah totally I, I totally like all of that stuff a
3: lot you're not a follower of Jaquan are you Natoth my father was a disciple of Jilan. my mother didn't believe in much of anything and what do you believe in myself ambassador too easy an answer we all believe in something greater than ourselves even if it's just the blind forces of chance chance favors the warrior
0: i think for me it's the it's the on-screen presentation mm-hmm. of the narn that fills the exact same purpose as the on-screen presentation of Worf in Next Generation, and I think that's like, intentional. You go, you go into his quarters, and they've done similar things to make it alien.
2: You're right, his his the lighting in in Uh, Jakar's quarters right. is always an orangey thing, right? Which you're just going to assume that must be what it's like if they ever show his planet. It's going to be this kind of orange light glow. He's meant, I think, specifically to be an othered.
0: Species and other to other
2: and other right and in a way where you know the Centauri basically look like humans that choose to do weird things with their hair totally you know and the Mimbari <laughs> are very humanoid but have like bone structures visible bone structures and no hair yeah uh, and then Jakar is like oh you're like a orange lizard person yeah you know so that is a step. an extra step away from humans and
0: humanity. I think what I need is just to see more of Dakar and his people, because Mm -hmm. there's just like, there wasn't that much of, of him in season one. And what was presented was kind of one dimensional. Yep. Uh, and that just—that's what I think more than anything really felt like Klingons to me. Is that like, Klingons sure. are just warriors, right. you know? And that's how I felt about Jakar. What's his race called? The Narn. The Narn. Yeah. yeah, that's how I felt about the Narn. Is they—they they were just the quote-unquote warrior race on yep. this show. Yeah, and that's something that's I—I I look at Stargate, and I look at uh, the um what are they? What is Teal'c? He's a uh, oh that I don't know, but I know. It's so long since I watched yeah. this. I know not you mean. That's this the yeah um, swirly thing in his head. Jaffa. Okay. Jaffa,
2: I think. Is that right? I, I don't think I've ever watched the any Jaffa, Stargate. I
0: think that's the name of his people, and they're basically just the warrior race. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, I I mean, and Star Trek didn't even initiate that. It's just the Klingons are kind of the most popular version of that. Right. But all these sci-fi universes have the warrior race. Yeah. And I would like to see the warrior race presented in a new and thoughtful way, because... I.
2: Believe that Babylon 5 Is does it that. do it for me. Okay. I believe that I would love to circle back and have that conversation with you after. Well, we're
0: doing this for every season, so we will
2: get there. Okay, so yeah, we, yeah, yeah.
0: We'll <laughs> okay, so, yeah. The, then the exploration of the Narn. I think I'd be curious to hear what you think. Awesome, yeah, I would be thrilled if that happened. I would that that's something that I would be like really, really, really into, yeah, if you uh, because I know that. Like JMS was very aware of Star Trek. I've read a yeah. little bit about that. Right. Uh, See, and that's what
2: I mean. I think it's intentional. I think, yeah. So I think maybe
0: he's trying to say this is what you could do with. You Klingons. thought these are
2: our warrior race. You think that this yeah. is what you think you know what this means to be this othered warrior race.
0: Yeah. 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 All that being said, like the the presentation of the warrior race on Star Trek is incredibly influential on my life. Yeah. And like <laughs> when when I. Like, my tattoo was in Klingon because Ah, I wanted to, like, get a little bit of that warrior spirit right on my arm. There it is. So there it it is. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, I mean, that, that, you know, it's just maybe that's why it's so, like, personal to me. Right. uh, That I, I like how detailed and specific the warrior race is on Star Trek. Right. And I feel like doing things that feel that similar... Uh, in season one with Jakar felt a little strange to me. Yeah, because they do... But that's the extent... I'm, like, arguing against something that just uh, felt a little strange to me. You know, like, that's all. I
2: understand, because they will frequently mention, like, oh, the Mimbari have honor... The Mimbari don't lie, that kind of thing, but, yeah. but they don't go into it. But they have a specific episode where you see that with a the Narn, they have like, no, I must seek vengeance on this other person right. because they did this thing bad to my family, which yeah. feels very Klingon. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Uh, the one interesting thing, I think, though, is that they go deeper into the Narn uh, and Jakar specifically his religious beliefs. As far yeah. as like, a, you know, this is his religion. He is a religious person.
0: <laughs> That's so funny because I, I was watching this concurrently with season six of Next Generation. Yeah, And there's an episode towards the end of that where Worf goes on a religious retreat. Yeah, And he's the only character on Next Generation that ever does anything religious. Yeah, yeah. And I watched that like a day or two before I watched... Something where they did something religious with Jakar, and I'm like, this this is a this is a rip of Klingons. Uh well, uh,
2: but to be fair, they explored, as we mentioned earlier, uh Susan Ivanova's uh Jewish faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have specifically mentioned that Sinclair believes in God. For sure. Uh because garibaldi Garibaldi once says you'd better pray to your God. Yeah. Because Garibaldi is an avowed atheist. That's so, true. So uh, and the Mimbari, you know, they are steeped in they have a whole Warrior class versus the religious cast,
0: which is something I love actually. The Membari, I think, is the most interesting because well, they species are, to the Membari
2: are a warrior race. When you get right down to it, they, totally, they
0: beat yeah, the fuck out of the. Units. They're like warriors, and they're very cerebral. Right. It's very interesting. They're like just a. They seem to me to be just kind of an advanced race, you right. know. Yeah, like in in a good way, right. where they're they're reasonable, but they also have a sense of spirituality. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I'm really excited to see more with Jakar. Yep. Was there, I don't know if there was a reason he was only in half of season one, maybe something with the actor. No, it's part of just the, the season
2: one has the most non-arc stories of all the seasons. Yeah, So there's a lot of one-offs that don't directly tie into anything and aren't arguably aren't needed, you know, to get the Babylon 5, uh, the core of its experience. In yeah. fact, if you look online, there are people that have guides of like, yeah. oh, if you don't think you're going to like it, but you want to give it a shot, you know, start here, skip a bunch, watch this one, skip a bunch. Yeah. And then the number that you skip, I think there's a couple in season two and then you're done skipping. Like, Oh really? And yeah. then you just
0: watch straight. That's interesting.
2: Yeah. One review I've read said, uh, Babylon 5 is a great show that has like, like five or seven bad hours (laughs) but like four of those hours are in season one So like you get a bunch of that out of the way.
0: One of those bad hours has to be the one where Garibaldi's boxing friend comes. That is, uh, I did not know this until today,
2: reading through this other person's reviews of it. Yeah, Uh, That's one of the most often mentioned. That one and the Grail one are the two least favorite episodes of the whole show. TKO (laughs) is the boxing one. And Grail is the one where the dude is looking for the Holy Grail.
0: Yeah, that one wasn't, the grill one was fine. I wasn't, yeah. like, upset by it at all. Yeah. The the TKO one was just bad. It's it was just bad. Just yeah. Very badly written and acted, and yeah. it, it was a waste of time to watch. Yeah, and it's insulting, I think, yeah. in a lot of ways. I agree. That's the only hour of season one where I was just like, maybe this is a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, maybe this is an ill-advised journey that I've taken myself upon. Yeah. But I only felt that way that one time.
2: Yeah. That's fair. It's not a good one. It's
0: not. Have you ever watched Sanctuary? It was a sci-fi show. No. Or, I mean, a show on Sci-Fi Network. It wasn't a... Well, I guess it was a science fiction show. But it was kind of like... There's a lot of magic involved Ooh. also. Mm-hmm. It's like a weird combination of sci-fi and magic. Interesting. Is a... I like that. I, science magic. I like science magic. sci <laughs> Uh But I love that show. The season first season was terrible, but it got so good after that. Yeah. But there was a boxing episode in season one. <laughs> Where characters got, like, roid rage from, from some uh, weird super drug and, like, yeah. became underground fighters. <laughs> <laughs> and it was just terrible. Yeah. It was terrible. And it was, like, reliving that episode all over again with TKO. Yeah. I'm like, this is terrible. Yeah, I do not enjoy this. Yeah. that If I was to watch
2: Babylon 5 again after going through all five now, that's the kind of thing I'd be like, oh, no, I don't need to see that.
1: Into the sands of blood comes Walker Smith of Earth. The bravest of his race.
0: That was definitely the low point of the season for me. But honestly, I mean, TNG, my favorite show, has lower points than that. When yes. Beverly fucks a ghost, you don't <laughs> you don't get much lower than that. Yeah. Or the episode in season two where they save a colony of people from Ireland. Right. Right. And, right. Uh, that's very racist. <laughs> it's terrible. And Babylon chickens. Babylon Five's biggest sin is just the
2: clunky, awkward humor that they keep trying to make and don't ever quite successfully manage to do. Yeah. But their worst episodes are better than the worst episodes of other science fiction. Yeah. And their best episodes are far and away better than the best of Star Trek. I, I personally, oh really? Think, I think Babylon wow. Five. That's so. This is why I thought we had talked about Babylon Five once because we were talking about Star Trek and I was saying how much I didn't like Deep Space Nine, but it's because... Oh, yeah. Right. It's because I think Babylon 5 is like the better expression of... I do remember you uh, saying that now. Yeah. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, and it makes me want to now go back and watch Deep Space Nine so I can appreciate it on its own for what it is. Yeah. But for me at the time, I was just like this other show is murdering you and no one is watching it and no one is talking about it. That's and so funny. And that just funny. made me mad. Like,
0: fuck you. Oh, Deep man. Space Nine. <laughs> I could totally see that. It's so interesting because I, I didn't get into Deep Space Nine when it first came out. I actually was kind of anti Deep Space Nine yeah. when it first aired. Cause I was young. Uh, let's see. What was that? Ninety four. They, it's, they started the same year, didn't? They? Or ninety three? They right around the same time, yeah. Yeah. Let's see. Uh, TNG is eighty seven to ninety two. Yeah. Okay. Ninety three. It's seven years. So I, th- I think Deep Space Nine started in season six of Next Generation. So maybe ninety two. Yeah. Or ninety three. That that and that jives with like Babylon Five starting in ninety four because the movie would have been in ninety three.
2: Yeah. The, I think the movie the movie pilot. Either came out a couple of weeks before uh, Deep Space Nine started, or the pilot episode of the TV show after a year after the movie was when they both started. But they yeah. were the, their first season started really
0: close to each other. Right, totally. So when that happened, I like the first episode of Deep Space Nine sets you up to dislike either dislike Captain Picard or dislike. Benjamin Cisco right, because they're right. at odds with yeah, each other. Yeah. And as a, like a devout next generation fan yeah. who was young, I was like a teenager. It right. just alienated the fuck out of me. I was like, I've been watching this show for as long as I can remember having thoughts. Yeah. At yeah. this point. <laughs> um, yeah. I was only like 11, I guess. Cause I was born in 84. No, I was younger than that. I can't do math. I was like eight years old, eight <laughs> or nine years old, I guess, when Deep Space Nine started. And I couldn't get into it. Yeah. And then in high school, a friend of mine, Jeff L. Hodge, was like, man, this is a great show. You should watch it. Oh. So uh, I was at his place and it was on TV and we watched an episode. I was like, fucking A, that was great. Oh, is that nice. what this show is? <laughs> so I went back and uh, watched the whole thing and I just fell in love. Nice. I fell in love. It's a brilliant show. Yeah. I, I really love Deep Space Nine. Ah, nice. Um, it's got some very bad episodes, but sure. it's... Well, most of them involving Dr. Bashir, which is weird, because he's one of my favorite characters, but they yeah. did some weird episodes with him. Uh, but yeah, as the serialization takes over and sure. you get into the Dominion War, the, the show is just so intense yeah. and so emotionally resonant.
2: Yeah. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'd I'm be really curious to hear how you compare them, because I don't think that you'll... You might come out at the end of this and go, oh, yeah, Babylon 5 is a superior product. But... uh uh, I'd be curious to see how you yeah, uh, what, yeah, how you compare them after watching all of this.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking less and less of things as being inferior or superior sure. and more and more is just like how much you this like thing it. was cool that I liked yeah. that I, that I watched. Yeah. Like I, I it's on my personal scale, but right. not ne- that doesn't necessarily reflect on the art itself. Sure. It like is- I don't think I'm qualified to say ever that one show like this show is better than another show right, right. beyond the fact then that that's how I feel, you yeah, know, it exactly doesn't mean anything reign. to anyone else. Yeah. 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 It's not the definitive. This is a bad show. Absolutely so, not. Yeah. I agree Just with you. Just because like I'm the one whose name is on the podcast does not mean that any of my opinions are correct. <laughs> You're, You're my fully opinions. Fully willing to acknowledge the subjective nature of appreciating art. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And I feel like not doing so is a mistake. <laughs> nice. Uh, okay, so we did Talia Winters. We did Talia Winters. Next up is Stephen First as Veer Kado.
2: Oh yeah, he's the dude that was in Animal House. He's oh uh,
0: yeah he. So when he first showed up, I was very annoyed.
2: Me too. He, and he's he's comic relief in a very yeah. unnecessary <laughs> way. Totally. Uh, one of the things I read was uh, he's he's a sitcom character in a uh, serious show. Absolutely, and yeah. it, it's a sitcom, sitcom character in a weird. drama.
0: Yeah, even like his. His voice and his demeanor are mm-hmm. very sitcom-ish. Mm-hmm. And it's very strange choice because Londo is such a big character, but in a lot of ways kind of carries the emotional weight of the show on his shoulders because yeah. he's, he's my, such he, a good actor. He's my favorite from season one. Yeah. Londo. I love... I think he's my favorite performance. Not yeah. my favorite character, but like as far as an actor performing on screen, he's yeah. the most interesting to watch. He dives in and he goes
2: over the top with his acting in a way that I think might terrify you if you didn't know that it could pay off. But he really, and I think part of it is like, well, look at the, he plays a Centauri and there, if you've seen Babylon five pictures, one of the things that's very iconic is the the hair hair, uh, that is just like, take your hair and spike it up in a, I don't know what you would call that, like a. A uh, fan? A fan, yeah, from behind <laughs> your head. Very weird looking. Yeah. But then his personality is like, oh, okay.
0: <laughs> yeah. Everything about this is exaggerated. Yeah, totally. Yeah, which is why Veer is a little strange, because yeah. he just acts like like the upstairs neighbor on an American sitcom. Yeah, he's a bumbling boob.
3: Veer, how many gods are there in our pantheon? I've lost count since the last emperor was elevated to godhood. 48, no, no, 49 50 if you count Zug, but, you know, I never thought All he right. should Alright, let's say 50. 50 Now out of that 50 How many gods do you think I must have offended To have ended up with Jakar's teeth Buried so deeply in my throat That I can barely breathe All of them?
0: He doesn't have anything even remotely resembling the accent That Londo has Yeah. And I thought that that was like the Centauri accent Right. When I first heard it, and I'm like, great, that's cool I, I dig is. that, that's fun Uh, But then it it was just – I guess Londo is a a weirdo and has an accent and no one else from his planet does. Well, no. It's just from who you've seen. From who I've seen. That's true. Uh, The the
2: example would be the doctor with the the very thick African – Accent in the movie, where then all the other characters around him have American-sounding accents. They're all humans, but yeah. here's somebody who comes from a different continent who speaks the same language as these other people, but we're speaks all it human. with an accent.
0: You're right. Right. We're all, so we're all human.
2: <laughs> I think, and that's one of the things that I like about it is that the members of their races don't have like this is the accent. They all talk this way.
0: I think. I think that if he had had a different accent entirely, I would have been thrilled. Just, I think just yeah. having an American accent bothered right. me. Right. Cause that's, he has an accent. It's the American accent.
2: Right. That's, I agree with you that to me, yeah. that's, that's the thing that diminishes it is yeah. that, uh, there's variety among the different races accents, but <laughs> the English should not be one of the ones that shouldn't the, be a varietal. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: So yeah, Veer, I think, Veer. is... is mm. He's like a background character. I was surprised that... Yeah. Uh, so Veer and Natoth I was surprised, were main cast. Because yeah. neither of them are around that much. They're not around that much at all. Natoth yeah. played by uh, Caitlin Brown. Oh, yeah. we, I skipped over Bill Mooney as Lanier, but we've talked about him a yeah, little bit Actually, already. that's
2: interesting, because there, the, you have the three ambassadors, where you have Jakar... And uh, Delenn and Londo. And, Lando, yeah. and, and then the three of them each have assistants underneath them. Like a
0: top aide.
2: Yeah. Who's a top also aide in the main cast. Who's in the main cast, right? That aren't in the show that much.
0: And yet Lanier comes through the end of the season having a character and yep. being interesting in his own right and yep. having an interesting arc working on the motorcycle with Garibaldi. Right, right. Uh, and Natath is around and I recognized her by name, but mm-hmm. that's all I can say about her. Uh, yep. And then.
2: And she plays much more into that warrior Klingon type. Yeah. Where she's she's not religious the way Jakar is. And yeah. she's the one that's thirsting after revenge and, you know.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Oh, uh, And then Lanier, who is... He's like an innocent... Who, who's not not very well characterized either. Yeah. So there's only one of the three aides that I feel like they really gave solid time to. Yeah. Or I said Lanier. I meant... Uh, Veer. Uh, what's his name? Veer. Uh, Veer, Yeah. yeah. I'm going to take this back. Lanier is the one who I feel like is characterized and Veer and Natath are not Yeah, much. agreed. Yeah. yeah.
2: Veer's characterization is, again, comic relief. Yeah. Natath is, like, angry.
0: <laughs> yeah. So now there's three main characters, including Talia Winters, who I felt like were unnecessary in season yeah. one. Yeah, yeah. And that, that annoyed me a little bit. I felt like just the economy of storytelling is, like if you have a reason for these people to be here, tell me what it is yeah. because I don't know if yeah. I, after a season, I don't know why these characters are here. Uh, like, I feel like Veer is just there to, to help Londo. You know, I
2: think Veer's I, role becomes more clear uh, in later seasons. Cool. Um, I think Lanier just does more. I don't know if his role becomes clear. He's still yeah. just mostly there. And I think Natath disappears. I think she fades away I, from future seasons.
0: I, yeah, and that, and then knowing that Talia Winters also kind of fades away, I, I felt like some, just some of the some of the yeah. characters like at the outset were not as well set up for success as some yeah. of the others. Well, I think
2: Talia effectively is replaced though.
0: Yeah, so that's it. Seemed like the actress just wasn't working for them. Maybe I don't know. Uh, there's
2: been talk about that because she quit, or I don't know if she quit or was fired. But then you know her character left abruptly. That happens in season two, and it's a very abrupt oh. exit. And then the other uh, character, the other psychic character, comes in.
0: I can't wait for that because I like that actress a lot. Yeah. Yeah. I the the too. redhead. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we actually already talked about Andreas Katsoulis as yeah. Ambassador Jakar, and yep. we talked about Peter Jurassic yep. as Londo. Yep. Londo is, is an amazing character. Yeah. I, I want to talk a little. Well, we, t- we should talk a little bit more about Jakar and Lando because both of them are, like, really, really interesting, well-acted characters. Yeah, and arguably
2: they're one of the cores of the series.
0: That's the impression that I get from seeing art from season five. Yeah, yeah, yeah uh, I'm yeah. like, I don't recognize anyone except for these two people. Yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> so it it seemed clear to me that this, the premise of the show was that, like... Sinclair is the center of negotiations. And Lando, I always want to say Lando or Yandu or something. Lando and Jakar are kind of pulling him in opposite directions as far as, you know, being loud voices in the galaxy.
2: Yeah. And it's not even necessarily like polar opposites. It's just their own, I think Jakar refers to it as enlightened self-interest,
0: you know? Yeah, they each have an agenda. They each have have an agenda. the needs of their people.
2: Right. And then, yeah, Sinclair has to be in the middle and it's not like, oh, well, you're morally right and you're morally wrong it's like oh you want different things
0: and i love that a big premise of the show is negotiation where sinclair is a negotiator you know he's a uh he's he's a good spokesperson for for anything. Yeah, <laughs> he can be on any side of any argument because he can see the merit of all arguments because he's a, like a pretty wise person. Yes, and that's the whole idea of all of these various
2: Babylon stations was an attempt to maintain peace in the galaxy after Earth almost got wiped out in the Mimbari war. Yeah. So then it's you know after
0: that they're like let's build let's build peace stations. Yeah. And it's interesting that like you have these Fighting delegates. Right. But then above all that, and even above Sinclair, you have the Mimbari, who are just kind of seemingly pulling the strings of, of things that we can't see. Sure. And maybe know more about the nature of the galaxy than we do.
2: Absolutely, because we're sort of the younger, you know, people on the scene.
0: Yeah, like that episode where they went inside the planet that they're orbiting. Yeah. I loved. I loved that episode. I love that too, because
2: it's, you see the planet there and it just looks like background stuff. Yeah, And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, no, they're going to actually go in that and talk yeah, about it. Yeah,
0: that background thing is a character. Yeah. That's really cool. That's something that uh, Deep Space Nine did a little bit, but the fact that like we're looking at Bajor all the time, it, right. you forget that often on Deep yeah. Space Nine. I wish that someone would look out the window and say, you know, I'm looking over Kent the Province or something yeah, yeah, yeah. More, a little more often. Like, yeah. they do it sometimes, but uh, I don't know. Like, you don't really get the sense that that's like Kira's home world right out the window. You know right, what I mean? Right. Yeah. So that was a really cool moment for me. It was like, oh shit, there's a whole planet, right? What's on that planet? Right. <laughs> what is that planet? Was that planet always there? <laughs> and the fact that there was like a dude inside of the planet. Right. It was like such this... a cool like 60s sci-fi plot, you yeah. know? Yeah.
2: All of a sudden there's this huge technology and shit going on underneath there. Yeah. With zone own defense mechanisms trying to blow people up that go near it.
0: Yeah. And didn't we learn about the... Uh, the intentions of the minbari a little bit more in that episode, if I'm remembering correctly, uh possibly, yeah, I can't remember if I'm getting my episodes crossed or not, um yeah, they slowly
2: peel the onion back away from the minbari,
0: yeah, and we see the the gray council right, which is is that what it's called gray the council? gray Council, yeah, I think that's like super interesting, yeah, uh the episode where they were doing the flashbacks, and you see a little bit of sinclair's time and right right at the end of the war and yeah. yeah, glimpses of what happened on that time that he's forgotten. That's the
2: one you started to talk about, where it's that that Jeremy Combs actor, where Jeffrey they, Combs, Jeffrey Combs, right? Where him and the other person kidnap Sinclair and go into his brain. Oh yeah. Oh wait, maybe Combs isn't in that one.
0: I think. Well, I think that you go into is, his brain twice in season one, don't we?
2: Uh yeah, I've I confused too. There's one where two people kidnap him and they hook him up to the machine and they go into his mind and make him. Relive, And that's where you see the Grey Council and you get more glimpses of that. Yeah, The Jeffrey Combs is the one where it's the dude with the scar down his face. And
0: that's... he's trying to recruit the other girl. Yeah. 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 Honestly, like, I'm having a hard time looking back on the season and, like, remembering episodes of what happened. Yeah. I'm having a hard time. Like, it all kind of blends together in a way that is really different for me. Yeah. I think, I think that's to the benefit though. Because- like if you look back on walking dead, you can't tell someone what happened in what episode. Cause like right. the whole season is a, is a story. Right. Exactly. So it's hard to pinpoint that moment. Yeah. Whereas in next generation, it's like the episode where this happened. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's where this happened too. Cause right. it's also delineated in my mind. In yeah. My and memory. Then a, a couple of big two parters. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Yeah, but with this one, like season one itself was kind of a whole arc.
2: Yeah, and they've got some two-part episodes, and those are really impressive. Yeah,
1: those were good. Sinclair.
3: Commander, we just started picking up a distress signal in sector 14.
1: I thought I ordered all ships to stay clear of that area. Affirmative. Then who?
3: The distress call identifies itself as... Commander, it's Babylon 4.
2: We're on our way. We didn't even talk about the weirdest episode of
0: season one. (laughs) Which one? Uh,
2: Babylon squared.
0: Oh, where they, they, the one where they found Babylon four. Yeah. Yeah. I like that episode a lot. Babylon four was like hovering in this weird non-reality
2: pocket of space. Yeah. That's the first time they introduce, I think beyond the psychics, which is strange, but within tolerance for, you know, science fiction or uh, speculative fiction. But then uh, Babylon squared is suddenly like, boom, time travel. You know, yeah. where before then, it had been a much more. I think it felt a much like a much more rooted in believable science,
0: right? Like two thousand one, right. you know, or at most Star Wars. It's just a projection into our future, without really, yeah, adding anything that we can't quite imagine us doing yet.
2: Yeah. We're, yeah. It, it's something that is, gets to be like super rule breaking where you're like, what?
0: Yeah. <laughs> so
2: yeah, that's a, that's an interesting episode.
0: I actually, what you just said about the, the psych or the idea that's ba- barely within acceptable limits yeah. for sci-fi or speculative fiction. That's actually something that I wanted to bring up because I actually had a little bit of a hard time, accepting it Uh, uh, in the show, also because it reminded me of Counselor Troy. Sure. uh, Because you have this female character who can read other people's minds who's useful in negotiation. Right. And I thought that was really similar. Yeah, except
2: um, it's like specific. Like that's your job. You get yeah, hired to do. Totally. It. Yeah.
0: Well, the biggest difference was that in Star Trek, you accept it because she's a Betazoid. Mm-hmm. So it, you know, she's not it's human. Dif- right. It's a different species. But it, accepting that a human could evolve into that t- took a little bit of a, a leap for me.
2: So in Babylon Five, I don't know if it's if you've uh, 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 fully onboarded that every race has psychics uh, except for the Narn. So all of the races yeah. have. Uh, s- People that have developed these abilities.
0: So it's like just the evolution of species. Species eventually comes to a place where that's what it seems like. Thoughts. But I, can I, be I, I don't think transmitted they transmitted somehow.
2: They don't address it specifically. Yeah,
0: but it is. I think
2: used as kind of like it's like technology. Yeah, everybody that is in this spacefaring world has access to spacefaring stuff. So they been, also have psychics.
0: I've been reading this book uh, very slowly because. I haven't been reading a lot recently, but I've been reading Zones of Thought by Werner Vinge. It's, oh, okay. It's uh, his Zones of Thought trilogy, I think. It's a trilogy? I'm reading Fire Upon the Deep. It's the first book. And the Zones of Thought uh, that the trilogy is named for are literally uh, like zones in space where thoughts move at different speed. Oh. So, they, they consider where we're from the slow zone. Okay. So, if you get further out... Uh, in the galaxy, then you can get into a zone of thought that where thought moves faster. Information moves faster. Uh, It's, it's kind of explained slowly over time in the book, but it's really fascinating. And, uh, what you were just saying, I I feel like if they'd added one more level to this, like why, why did this develop in humanity? Maybe like something about going out into space. Right. Um, people become psychic over time of all species just from living in in zero G for some reason. It's like a, I don't know, if they could have connected one more dot for me, I think I would have liked that a little more. more. But I accept it just fine. Like, I got used to it, and now I'm totally fine with it.
2: Yeah, and it's an integral part. Yeah.
0: And and they do have
2: it tied into, because obviously uh, the Mimbari, they do some stuff about, Mimbari have prophecies, and they have people that have visions, and uh, uh, Londo, one of the first things he talks about is how, Centauri uh, 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 can sometimes see their death yeah. and that when he first met Jakar he immediately okay. knew that this was the person from his vision of his death which was being oh, wow. an old man and that's right. I, two I people, people choking each other to death I love and so that. He, he knows during all of this that Jakar is the person that's going to kill him My people we have
3: a way you see we know how and sometimes even when We are going to die. Comes in a dream, huh? In my dream, I'm an old man. It's 20 years from now, and I am dying. My hands wrapped around someone's throat, and his around mine. We have squeezed the life out of each other. The first time I saw Jakar, I recognized him as the one from the dream. It will happen. Twenty years from now, we will die with our hands around each other's throats.
1: Twenty years is a long time. Long enough for your people to come to an
3: understanding. Believe as you wish. Twenty years from now, one of us will be wiser and older, or one of us will be dead. Who's to say? Me, I need another drink.
0: I love that story element. Yeah. That yeah. reminded me of Red Dwarf oh, a interesting. little bit. yeah. Uh, I can't remember why now. Something to do with someone on Red Dwarf. Yeah. yeah. What's the lead character's name? I can't remember. Uh, Dave. I, I, okay. Right? You're going to talk to Ryan about Red You're Dwarf. You're dead, Dave. <laughs> Something happened to Dave. My, um, my Red Dwarf <laughs> knowledge is thin. I watched the whole show once. I love it. I would love to rewatch it. Oh my God. I missed that show. It's so good. It's really good. I'm going to watch that. I should rewatch it. Um, so, yeah, I, I think. We've talked about like a majority of what I want to talk about, which is kind of I think for season one to me, it was mostly like my reaction to the characters sure. that, that really resonated with me. And that's what I loved about the show is that there were characters that I was reacting to. So can I ask you some stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, w-
2: when did you first get uh, when you thought to yourself, OK, I really like this show? Or did you after even watching the first pilot movie think, oh, good, I'm going to be into this? Or was there, was there an
0: episode where you're like, oh, this might be a really good show? Let me pull up the episode list. Sure. Because I'm, I'm I'm, I know that that happened, but I need to jog my memory. Sure.
2: Or if there was any particular scene where you first went, oh, shit. Yeah, I don't remember. Okay. Let's see. I have mine, and it ties into my other question, too.
0: I, so I think the first episode that I really, really loved... Uh, might have been Signs and port- Portents. Oh, yeah. The yeah. one that the season is named for. Yeah. I just Let's see. Because uh, that's where
2: so much stuff starts to happen.
0: Yeah. A Centauri noble comes to Babylon 5 to transport an important Centauri relic in Londo's possession back to the homeworld. A mysterious man visits all the alien ambassadors, yeah. asking them unusual questions. That's
2: Morden, and he goes and he talks to each ambassador, and then the artifact is the eye that's like... Um, A ruling symbol for Centauri.
0: Which was the episode where they went down to the planet? Was it that episode? No, that's the two parter Into the Wilderness, Into the Wild, something like that. A Voice in the Wilderness. A Voice in the Wilderness. I loved those. Yeah. I was really into those. Um,
2: Yeah, those are the like do not skips when people say, you can skip a bunch of stuff in season one. But I feel like there was
0: something early on that really caught my attention. The
2: one for me was um, Death Walker. The, the one where yeah. it's a weird thing where it's this woman who comes to the station and it turns out she's effectively a war criminal from earlier yeah. uh, wars in space, but she's got the secret to immortality. Uh, uh, but then she reveals later on that it involves like killing other people. Right. And so she wants to give the secret to the other races so that they will basically go to war with other forever for their own Uh, attempting to extend their own lives. Um, Right. And then, you know, there's like, oh, well, we can't do anything. We're just going to, you know, let her go and let Earth have access to her research. And then the Vorlon ship comes out of the uh, jump gate and just slices her ship in half. Right. And then says, you aren't ready for immortality. Yeah, that was really interesting. That was to me one of those like, oh, fuck. Because up until then... Because that's we didn't talk about him yet. Is Kosh? He's the other ambassador, who doesn't have any assistance.
0: Is he? The, is he the one that is he, the? He's in the, the environmental weird, suit, and he yeah. always he
2: answers questions in oh, like yes, like
0: enigmatic ways, right? Yeah, right. I, that's a really interesting character. Yeah, it's yeah. an interesting like looking apparatus. Yeah, why?
3: You are not ready for immortality.
0: Oh, you know what? Uh, so the very first episode, Midnight on the Firing Line, I actually really liked. Mm. Uh, when the Narn attack of Centauri Colony, Londo and Jakar nearly come to blows. Right. Meanwhile, raiders are attacking transport ships near the station. I remember thinking that that one actually set really good stakes for, for several of the characters oh. and made me believe them. Nice. Um, and like that this one that one really gave me hope for the show because the, the gathering was fine. Right. But it was a little slow. Yeah. It was a little bit on the boring side, and yeah. I didn't quite take a lot of it super seriously because it wasn't selling me. Right for but an I hour do, and a
2: half, it's slow.
0: Yeah, but midnight on the firing line, I did take seriously because of how it was presented, and I, I really appreciated that. Nice.
2: That's why I was really impressed when you said that you liked it. You didn't need any. You weren't. You didn't need to get further sold on it because yeah. there are some people who like sci-fi who will watch even the entire first season and be like,
0: eh, you know. So for me, uh, I if I dislike a season but I liked the first episode I will still watch the second season oh yeah uh but for a show like this where the first episode uh of the series proper showed a lot of promise to me you're in um, then for for sure for second season yeah basically basically I'm I'm in unless like the season bores the shit out of me right because I know what can happen in a season two for a show like I've seen it so many times where so many of my favorite shows have just Gotten so good in season two or even season three, yeah. Like Stargate, I had to stick out till like season four or five before I really loved wow. it. Okay, but then I loved it. Yeah. I think seasons five, six, and seven of Stargate SG One are three of my favorite. I
2: don't want to keep overselling seasons. it. I think you're going to be really impressed with what Babylon Five does in a way that I don't think other shows uh, have done before. Or since I think the next really solid. Serialized sci-fi show uh, was Expanse. I think after Babylon oh, fuck, Five, yeah. it's so good. There's no- nothing. I think it goes Babylon Five and then nothing until you get to Expanse. But Expanse huh. is based on you know it's like Game of Thrones. It's bit it's based on written.
0: Yeah, material. it was written by the writing assistant to George R. R. Martin and his friend. Ah, uh, funny. Yeah <laughs> Uh, I've only seen the first season of The Expanse so far, but I was, like, spellbound. Yeah, I was blown away. I adored it.
2: When you make television based off of, you know, written novels and then extend, like, a novel into a season, I think you can wind up with really compelling television. Babylon 5 is something that's whole hog created out of its own thing by somebody who has that kind of writer mentality and has a very strong single creator, uh, a driving force behind it, and there's nothing else like it. I think that's... Not until you get into, like, The Wire, or to a limited degree, The Sopranos, you know?
0: Where where a creator is given the resources to just kind of go hog wild and do exactly what they want yeah, with but, the show.
2: but then it doesn't, it doesn't exist in sci-fi
0: yeah. at all until
2: The Expanse, and even then it's based on a pre-written thing, not based on a creative vision.
0: Interesting. Yeah, because yeah, even Firefly, which is still, like, one of my absolute favorites. Yeah. Uh, There was a lot of network interference. Like, the the character of Malcolm Reynolds was completely changed for episode two because of network notes.
2: Yeah. See, I think if Firefly, one, had been not uh, interfered with by the network, and two, had been able to go for, like... Three seasons, it would probably be one of the better, if not best, sci fi
0: shows out there. I still feel like it is, even with just 14 episodes. Yeah,
2: I think it doesn't, I think it, because it can't fill any of its promises, it's just too much of like what it could have been, you know.
0: That's interesting. I feel like the show as it exists is like achieves so much yeah. in those first few episodes. I actually question whether or not the show would have been able to sustain it because it's burning so brightly right when it starts. Yeah. There's times where I wonder if maybe we were done a favor by Firefly yeah. ending before it jumped the shark because, yeah. look, at, I mean, Lost Lost did that, you know? Yeah, totally like, did. Lost did that. Imagine if if Lost had gotten canceled right. after season one right? and you'd have been like, no. This could have been the best. This would have been the
3: best thing yeah, ever. Yeah,
0: yeah. But Lost season one is the best season of Lost, yeah. you know, for sure. <laughs> so every season after that did something Season two, it was minor, but it still, like, did things that made me like the show less. It
2: kept losing the good faith it had built. Yeah, like, it had
0: absolute good faith in season one. I think X-Files did that, too. I think X-Files made yeah. a
2: I I mean, X-Files wrote checks its ass couldn't cash.
0: Yeah, X-Files alienated me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh so but I but I was like very eager to go back to it when the new season came out and yep. it's been renewed for season 2 of the reboot right Well I guess revived version right. which I'm very excited about and we'll definitely watch and podcast about like I like I like it a lot and I I loved some of the early seasons of X-Files so much Yeah but uh I would love to see something
2: I, I, like Firefly get a Netflix treatment you know I I feel
0: like it's too late for Firefly
2: Yeah or something maybe I just want to see like a good uh, serialized, I want to see another Babylon 5 in the modern age. Because Babylon yeah. 5 is so good, but it's it's unbelievable how deeply flawed it is in so many ways. <laughs> it's a testament to how good it is and how much it pays off its promises in a way that no other show did, that it, it can get away with so much bad stuff. Yeah. If, if it didn't come, if it didn't fulfill the promises, if it didn't have a worthwhile, several worthwhile arcs, it would probably be one of the most laughable shows,
0: you know, in a, in a similar way to the star Trek, the original series.
2: Yeah. 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 Where like the, the you deeper message
0: yeah. of the show is important. Right. And it makes slogging through the nonsense worthwhile. Sure.
2: And the ham fistedness and the much, how I feel about my
0: own podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is definitely a non skip episode. Yeah, for sure. This is required. <laughs>
2: listening. this is canon. Yeah.
3: This is like being, Nibbled to death by. Uh, what are those earth creatures called? Feathers, long bill, webbed feet, go quack. Cats. Cats. Like being nibbled to death by cats. The first four
2: were all filmed before they were aired. Uh-huh. And then the ones after that start to get better. Uh, the, the, everyone said, started to get better. The, the creative team for the show said it started to get better because they got to see the finished product. So then they started to work towards the strengths of the acting and the end
0: result where they were just flying blind with those first few. That makes a lot of sense. Mm -hmm. And that's why you got to give shows some time. Yeah. Well, I feel like, I feel like we, we traveled through season one pretty well. Yeah. I feel like, I mean, there's a lot more to cover there, but. I feel like uh I feel like what I really want to talk about on this show is going to happen in the future of the show. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's yeah, this sets the this sets the
2: groundwork.
0: Yeah, totally. And what what I connected to in season 1 was really the characters and the sense of a bigger universe to come. Mm-hmm. And yep. those things really appealed to me yeah. and really sold me on watching more. Yeah. I'm really excited that we got to record this because now I can I wanted to wait to start yeah. season 2. Yeah. Um, I was going to, but then I couldn't help myself. Yeah. Yeah. I wanted to not even know stuff. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Before. For me, I
2: already do. So
0: yeah. Cause I think it's, it's fun to go back for me and listen to myself talk about a show that I am discovering. Yeah. Cause like discovering TV is such a big thing for me. Yeah.
2: Yeah. This is, if you haven't seen it and you're a sci-fi person, it's one of the, the great gems out there.
0: Yeah. I am a sci-fi person yeah. and I have not seen it, so I'm very excited. And you
2: get so you got through the worst season.
0: Yeah. The and I'm already in. I'm already
2: like it. Two, three, and four are fantastic, and five is the second worst season, unfortunately.
0: Oh bummer. Yeah. Is that because of the network change? Yeah, well yeah.
2: Because they again five year plan, they got canceled after four and they were they didn't know what was gonna happen. So they rushed job wrapped up at the end of season four And they didn't need to because they did get a season five. Right. So, season five sort of feels tacked on and has, it has like another ending. So, some people even recommend, and I don't agree with it, watching the last episode of season four after you've watched season five. Whoa. And I don't think so. I think you go through and watch them. I don't think I'm physically capable of doing that. Yeah. Me neither. You just, why would you?
0: Yeah, that's like the whole machete order for Star Star Wars. Yeah, uh, you watch four, five, two, three, six, <laughs> uh, and you don't watch episode one. And I sure. just, I, uh, it's like a novel idea, but I feel like learning to accept that some things just suck is important, I and agree. therefore you should watch the prequels because <laughs> <Yeah, yeah. laughs> they suck. Yep, I don't know. I mean. I, like Sarah, my best friend Sarah, has not seen the prequels, and mm. she doesn't have any interest to. She loves the original movies. Sure, she doesn't need to. Yeah, and like she is untainted, therefore. Yeah. And part, sometimes I'm jealous. Yeah, I agree. But uh, but but there's no way I would have not seen the movies, you know? Yeah. Gotta at least see them.
2: It would have been great though if I could have never watched them and then watched them now because you have a podcast about sci-fi stuff. So you're like, oh, I found a sci-fi fan who's never seen them. Be like,
0: okay, good. Now I'll watch them. <laughs> You, you know what? I'm actually doing that with uh, with my girlfriend. Oh, she's nice. never she's seen um, she's seen the Force Awakens. Yeah, and she saw the original Star Wars when she was a kid, but it was like on in the background somewhere, right. so she doesn't remember it at all. Yeah, so she's basically she basically knows nothing except for in Force clean. Awakens. Yeah. yeah. So we're gonna watch through it. That's oh, great. I'm really excited about it. Awesome. But it's hard to find. You know, it's hard to find people who haven't seen yeah. things like this. But this is cool because I haven't seen Babylon Five right. and you get to be the yeah. you're like my guide. That's to why the I want show. to ask you
2: questions about like what do you think about it? What are you what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, that's I'm awesome. I love that. Really curious to see uh, the progression as you watch through the rest of the seasons.
0: Yeah. I we were talking about this before we started rolling, but when I finished season one, I actually posted something on Facebook and said, Who loves Babylon Five? <laughs> Um, because I was hoping that someone who would be good on the podcast would respond. And Parfait. then it was you and you've been on the show, like yeah. you're good on the show. And yeah. then like, I was so excited that, uh, cause we, we talked about doing something regular last time. We talked about like recontextualizing Star Wars. Right, movies. right, right. <laughs> But the more I thought about that, the more I'm like, man, I don't know if that's gonna like, that's not going to last. That doesn't last. Yeah. Yeah. But Babylon five, that's going to last. Yeah. We got five, we got
2: five episodes.
0: Uh, But, yeah, I'm so excited that you responded to that. This is awesome. Yeah, me too. You're the perfect person to go through this Babylon 5 journey with.
2: Love talking about Babylon 5. If there's anyone out there that was curious about it and they don't want to watch the whole thing, uh, let me know. I'll give you an order to watch the first season. And then if you really like it, you can go back and watch The Stinkers. (laughs) And they would reach you
0: on on Twitter,
2: maybe. Sure, find me. You know.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're Douglas W. Oh, Fail, right? On Twitter. Yes, Douglas W. Fail. I trying to, I was trying to give That's you, good. A, give me a plug. <laughs> trying to give you a plug, a plug hole there for you to fill.
2: I'm Douglas W. Fail on most things, on Instagram and on Facebook and on Twitter. I try to consistently get the same handle wherever I could.
0: Yeah, and this will be out probably within the next week or two. So okay. if there's anything you want to plug coming up.
2: Um, I don't have anything ongoing, uh, but I would say that uh, give my show Radio LARP a listen because it's the thing that I love the most that I put time and effort
0: into. Yeah, we yeah, Ryan and I actually talked about this. Uh, I and I, I love the new episode. It was awesome. Oh, nice. So yeah. whatever we'll
2: we'll plug for sure <laughs> Radio LARP. Yeah. And then you can find that at radiolarp.com. And that's the genre fiction uh, radio play podcast. Yeah, absolutely. Go <laughs> check it out.
0: I'm a, I'm a big fan. Thank you well this was awesome this is the first step on our on our journey yeah I look forward
2: to watching season 2
0: yeah let's do it right, cool let's do it right now let's Let's watch all of season 2 right now (laughs) next week Andy is coming back and we are watching Star Wars for the first time so while she was in town before she went back to New York we recorded a massive three hour conversation about Star Wars A New Hope and it was so much fun oh my god (laughs) It's really insane that I haven't done a show about that movie yet. I'm really thrilled to have a really in-depth conversation about one of the most influential movies on my life and many of your lives coming up next week. It's going to be a really fun episode. Uh, I haven't decided yet if, um, if that's going to be a, two, a one or two-parter. I'm going to try to make it in one part if I can do it. If I can't get through the editing, then I might split it up. But we'll see. We'll see. We'll see. Uh, if you'd like to check out my sci-fi synth-pop music or the rest of my podcast library, my premium podcast, you can find everything at Uh, If you want to find the premium podcasts for a dollar each, it's at jessimercury.bandcamp.com. Follow me on Twitter at Sci-Fi Project. And if you want to become a new Patreon supporter, that is patreon.com slash sci-fi project. All the links are in the description for the podcast. I love you. Thank you for listening. Until next time, stay nerdy out there.